please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, Jim. I hope that was really hard to edit. <laughs> and for, I know, right? for anybody listening to the show, watching the show, whatever, I'm the editor. So I'm hoping I make myself have a horrible, horrible time with this. Um, I am starting to get into a rhythm of probably doing. I want to get faster and do more, but two episodes a month. So until we get beyond this time period where there's there's a lot of hectic stuff going on with my situation right now we're probably going to be a two episodes a month show but that said um i'm going to try to push and if we can we'll record more episodes and we'll kind of we're almost caught up i think we only have one more episode to go and i'm editing that one currently um and i know there's there's like actual episodes i haven't launched that are sitting in the youtube account that's how much has been going on lately so to put it in perspective i've become a sound guy for uh a listener's band and um just you know kind of been doing a little bit of that stuff i have been going through this whole renaissance of gear lately and um i have been just inundated with stuff at work um and inundated with my kids going back to school so to put in perspective jim this week if you didn't hear from me this is why my daughter was sick from like tuesday to friday um two two covid tests with the the abbott labs rapid test negative right so doesn't have covid um got his call from the school on friday saying you need to get a pcr test before they can come back to school so now I just found out the beginning of my week this week is going to be rec two because they're going to be home with me um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, likely because it's going to be one to three days before we get results back. So I've got to make sure that I'm enforcing the homework regime. You know, right. I got to be the, the homework fascist. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be my week. And and actually, I'll probably be editing in between and doing work at the same time. It's it's going to be mind boggling. And I did my first Twitch live stream in months um, Sunday. And that was just a result of the band I was putting together falling through and having a little bit. I had an hour. I was like, I got 50 some odd minutes. So we'll do it real quick. <clears throat> yep. um, I'm also in the active process of recording more demos for the show. Um, I have footage of a product we're going to talk about in the what's new that'll probably be flown in over this. So if you're listening to the podcast, I won't put any audio on it. Uh, I had some people actually reach out to me and say that the audio was distracting in the last episode when we did the, um, for the audio version of the podcast that, that, uh, people said that the audio was distracting during, uh, the clip where we talked about the golden boy. Um, so we'll probably nix that from the, or we'll at least drop it back in the mix pretty low for, audio podcasts in the future if you do um for future reference if you do hear that and if we do plan to fly something in over uh something we'll actually make a, a note about it uh in the podcast so that you understand at least what that is because i i the person reached out to me and i don't think they actually understood what was going on um so just for future reference because i think it actually does enrich the show a little bit 
I did have some good feedback on it as well, but I just want to make sure that it's clear what that is. Um, all right. So we're going to get into it. What's new, right? Um, and before we do that, uh, if you are a, uh, if you're finding our podcast for the first time on YouTube or whatever, follow us or subscribe. Uh, you can hit the notification icon down below as well, uh, to, you know, find out more about the show. If you, you know, like what you hear. So, uh, Jim, we're going to talk what's new. I want you to talk about your what's new first, because it is clearly the most expensive what's new we've ever had in the show's history. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I got a few hundred dollars off, but, uh, it's still more expensive. So I got a, um, white Les Paul custom, um, custom, custom, they call it. So it's a custom shop, custom, um, and uh, I think all the customs are built in custom shops. Uh, yeah, I think now that all the – and they, they may have always been that way, but they didn't designate them that way. Right. So it says Gibson Custom on the back of the headstock. Um, I'll send you some pictures. You can fly in. It's got the whole gold hardware, um, speed knobs. Um, yeah, it's know. a cool-looking guitar. I mean, it's like every it, other Les Paul Custom you've ever seen, right? Like the is, white ones? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it literally is – one of the nicest Les Pauls I've played. Um, what happened was, I'll give you a brief rundown. I was sitting on Reverb, and I was at the Gibson demo shop. Mm -hmm. And they had a custom listed with minor dings in it for $36.99. And I was like, $1,000 off? I'll buy this. So <clears throat> I, but I hemmed and hawed just long enough for somebody to pull it out of the cart and sell it or buy it. So then you get um, frustrated. So, now you're pissed. Now I'm pissed. Now I'm frustrated. Now I'm I'm on the hunt. So I go to the custom shop, uh, or I mean uh, Reverb, and I'm looking, 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 <clears throat> and I find one that's perfect. I mean it's you know the Alpine White. It's it's gorgeous, and they say, oh, if you're close up, you can see these uh, this hue that was from hanging it on a hanger store. But nobody's ever played it. There's no scratches in the pick card or anything like that. Everything else perfect. So I was like, ah, oh, geez, do I get it? And they took like, I don't know if anybody's from the days of Olin Mills, but you used to go get your picture taken with the family at Olin Mills like once a year. And get yeah, they have, a, they have a little it, photo studio in the shop. Maybe, yeah. even, uh, maybe even they a, had a booth. Really, yeah, really nice. And of course, they did it on a white sheet with a white guitar and a gorgeous, gorgeous. I get it in. Now, I'm not going to say I don't love my other guitars, even though they have these things. But you know those little tooling marks and the, mm -hmm. the nub of that? It's just pristine all the way around. It's just so pristine. And I, I called them the minute it came in. And I said, um, yeah, this thing is dead on. And I have played it all of maybe 20 minutes because at, at that point, um, because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to call them and then later find out a pickup wasn't working or something. But, uh, yeah, great guitar, beautiful guitar. Can't wait to, I mean, it's not on the wall because it's been being played. I have. So uh, the right one now, guitar, the one guitar most people would be afraid to take out. Yeah. Yeah. You're not playing out. Or you, you are now playing out. So let's make it really I'm, clear I'm, to everybody. Jim's not the same kind of collector. I, right. I, 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 when you said that to me, what did I say, Jim? I said, you're yeah. a collector I now. Said, I gotta, he goes, yep, you're a collector. Now you're officially a collector, something like that. I think that's what yeah. he said. You're yeah. officially a collector. And the truth of the matter is the first couple of days, 
I was kind of like that. Then I went and I bought a white Stetson. The big old white cowboy hat. I got a white, I got the white leather strap with the custom, the gold custom diamond, <sighs> Gibson diamond, and um, gold shower hat strap locks. Put them on there, told my other guitar player, and said, we're playing that next gig. And I have already gigged it. No I have, dings yet. No you, dings yet. You will. And you know what? Honestly, yeah, will. Yeah. you're going to own it. Like, it, it doesn't mine, matter. Yeah. It's yours. And yeah. um, yeah. guitar like that, I, I, you know, but they get passed around. People sell them off. They trade them. Yep. I just don't see you doing that with something like a Les Paul Custom. Um, that's, like, that's everybody's, not everybody's, but that's like a lot of people's dream guitar. And for you, I know that you've been right. looking for one for quite some time. So I, I suspect you're going to hang on to that one. Even if it's yeah. a crappy guitar, I'd hang on to it, quite frankly. Um, well, yeah, I, yeah. I have uh, friends that it have, hang. like, 70s Les Paul Customs. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. so anyway, um, I have a plethora of what's new items. Um, so I sold, because I don't think we even talked about all that. I sold what? I sold a guitar. I sold a I sold the red uh, Janelle Legacy that I bought in 2018 for the show for for pickups. I sold oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, a road case. I yeah. sold. I'm trying to think what else went. There was a bunch of stuff. Your keys. Uh, my well, my keys went a long time ago. That paid for the PRS. That's yeah. That's um. Right. Let me, let me pull up my reverb account because it makes more sense if I just look at reverb because I have all my... Everything got sold through reverb. I don't, I don't mess with anything else. I, I want the least personal way of selling to somebody. Um, <laughs> I just don't want to deal with people. And uh, yeah, so that's that. Um, here we go. So I sold a road case, the one they had for the Kemper. Um, I got 200 bucks for that. I got 450 bucks for the GNL tribute. I got I sold George L's. I think I did talk about that on the show. That was $270. I sold uh, the Mission EP1 expression pedal for 100 bucks. So all that money went into buying the Golden Boy and buying um, the BB preamp, which I think we've talked about on the show. The small board I bought, the small the small battery power supply. Um, which I finally got to use at Open Jam this week, and it was all wonderful. All worked real well together. I actually oh. also bought a microvibe, um, so a Voodoo Lab microvibe. Now, if you know me or if you're a fan of the show, you probably know I am a Univibe nut. Um, I've had the Mini Deja vibe before. I've had, oh gosh, a bunch of different ones. The Viscous vibe. Um, I'm trying to think. There's others. I own the Unicorn currently. And then I have... Um, I now have the Microvibe. Now, my commentary in the Univibe circuit is like... I don't think anybody actually gets it totally right. Okay? Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons why, but I'm not going to delve too much into that. But I wanna do, what I do want to say is I really like the Unicorn, and I didn't expect to. But my only commentary on the Unicorn is it's not quite as wet as many of the Univibe circuits I'm familiar with. Um, in general, it seems like you get more dry signal um, when you're using the chorus side of it. And I don't really use the vibrato. So, you know, it's hit or miss. 
Um, I want something that really like pushes the mid range and cuts through. And the Unify, the, the Unicorn tends to do that pretty well, but I feel like sometimes when you gauge it, you can barely even tell it's on. Um, and I want, I mean, like when I hit that thing, I want it to just saturate my signal so that you can at least tell there's something going on. Um, so the micro vibe was one that I know a lot of like professional players have used over the years and, uh, including Paul Gilbert. Um, and I've heard lots of clips of it over the years and I knew known people who've owned one. I've actually never tried one myself. I, I know that Voodoo Lab pedals have like an excellent, um, pedigree behind them. I have heard people say things like you can't go wrong. Just buy the Voodoo Lab version. Um, now, of course, Voodoo Lab doesn't make many pedals anymore. I think they make the Giggity and the Sparkle Drag Mod, and that may be it. Um, the Giggity. So, so the my, so the Micro Vibe has a good reputation coming in. Um, it has a volume drop, like a significant volume drop. It loses like a dB and a half when you kick it on. And I was hoping, I thought it was just because of the frequency contour of the vibrato circuit that's in it was like just changing the signal it was just not putting out as much in certain areas but i've used it live and it just it just drops to the floor like yep. um and i'm not a big fan of it like for most people it probably wouldn't even be an issue but i actually prefer my univibes to be hotter than stock signal which most of them today are um and i think it's because they put a buffer at the end of them this one was not that way. Now I've read up, there's some mods you could do. There's one resistor in there that you can change, which is basically volume knob, except they didn't put a pod on it. Um, you can change this out for, I think it's like a 47 K now and you can change it to 38 and that'll, that'll give you a lot more volume. Um, I thought about doing that for like approximately like 20 minutes because I said, they're thinking like, I bought this pedal. I got it as steel. I think I even talked about, I do believe we talked about that on this show that I bought it for like next to nothing. Um, because they're all listed for like 150 right now. I think I paid a hundred bucks for this. Um, Cause uh, some Sam Ash put it up and the pictures were awful. And um, so I just, I jumped on it cause I knew what it was. And I, it's a food lab. Like it's not gonna be junk when I get it. And it wasn't actually, it was in great condition. I could probably resell it for 150 bucks. Um, but so I get this pedal in and I'm like thinking it's not as good as what I thought it was gonna be. And I'm, am I gonna mod it? Or am I just going to sell it? Because in the back of my mind, I'm going, well, if I mod this, then maybe I can use it. Then kind of going, you know what? It, it, I don't even know if it'll be worth the mod. And then I can't undo it. I mean, I could put the, I could put a new 47K in there, but it's not stock. So I have to say it's been modified and then returned to stock, which is going to lower the value. I'm just thinking, you know, screw it. We're just going to either sell it on reverb. I'm going to sell it to somebody I know for the price I paid for it. And I'm going to get something else. Which right. leads me to another what's new. So this evening I ordered a, if all goes well, I actually put the offer in and it got accepted and I've got a tracking number. So I think it's coming. Um, <laughs> that, the whole other thing on that on reverb. Um, I got a dry bell vibe machine version two. Uh, this is like the mainstream boutique univibe to get right now. And, um, I actually looked at, there's a guy, uh, company's called Classic Amplification, and he makes a, the closest thing I've ever seen to a real Univibe, okay? Like, he, he, I guess he fixes them, and that's like his claim to fame, is he 
has worked on a lot of famous players univibes over the years and so he built one that's basically like an exact replica um of some of the good ones he's seen and um i it was only like his was like 275 bucks it was a toss-up between this and that the difference was his wasn't true bypass it had a selector switch on it for true bypass now the original univibe is not true bypass and its output stage is notorious for tone suck but a lot of guys like it they want it that way so they're they're totally fine with using an old univibe um i don't know if i'm gonna like it or not and i'm not willing to spend 275 bucks on a real niche product that may not i may not be able to resell very easily so i didn't go that route i bought um the, the vibe machine instead and there's some other reasons of course it's got tap tempo um so if i ever do go back to a switcher or if i do what i think i'm going to do i will be able to tap tempo my entire board off of the vibe machine or off of a single tap so the vibe machine my delay will go off a single tap and then i'll be able to you know easily control tempo of my board which will be nice um so let me breathe for a minute there's more there's actually more to this story um i don't think i announced this on the last time we recorded if i did i apologize i bought a delay llama extreme uh, which i think i probably would have brought up because seems like um i can remember flashing my board up here and i can remember oh, yes you did you did and i can yep. remember like maybe the delay llama hadn't come in yet but i had ordered the micro vibe i think at the same time that we did the last episode so it was probably already on there and I do want to talk more about the Dalai Lama because I've had experience with it in the live venue and playing music with it. And um, it is, so I, I don't want to downplay this. I, it is not a deluxe memory man. I want to make this very clear to everyone. It's very similar. It has similar features and functionality and, and a feature set. It is a brighter analog delay than a deluxe memory man. So a deluxe memory man is a gritty, dark analog delay. This is a brighter analog delay it is um i would not characterize a fat sound but it is a very present sound like it's focused and it's there in front of you so if you're not comfortable with that um i would urge you to look elsewhere there's some other stellar delay products on the market analog delay products right now um the j rocket clockwork i think i think that's what's called and then of course surge just came out with theirs and i want to kind of compare and con contrast a little bit because i think if I'm talking about the Delay Llama, that there's a natural progression of, well, the Delay Llama's like way cheaper than this. And I think, yes, I think the Delay Llama is probably a better value. Um, so in my opinion, like you have, you have the carbon copy, whatever, right, Jim? The the pro and with the yeah, tap yeah, tempo yep. and the, uh, yep. the bright switch and the modulation controls right on the top. Yep, That's a cool pedal. A lot of people don't like the carbon copy. I'm not, I don't hate it. Um, I've owned one. Uh, it was a serious contender for when I was buying a DM2. It was like, do I want to go back to a carbon copy? And I kind of, there's a couple of reasons why I didn't. Number one, it's dark, but but the other reason was um, uh, I, I actually had issues with mine. I had to send my pack in and get it repaired at one point. I'm like, I just don't want to risk that again. Um, and when I did send it in for repair, they repaired it free, no charge, paid for the shipping. But it was so funny because it was way out of warranty. But the guy admitted, like, we re have basically repaired all of these that have been out in the field at some point. 
um because they're just they, they they had a bad run of parts or something and um they continued to use them rather than pull them so they so they just bring them in and repair them and then ship them back out so um carbon copy's fine right that's the that's the low end tap tempo analog delay the next step up is like the super puss yes yeah, super puss right that's the way yep. huge one tap tempo yep. tap tempo a lot of other wacky features you could got modulation and i think you got other stuff in there too that's a really cool pedal and it's a great value i think that's right around the price of the delay llama um a little maybe a little less the delay llama extreme is the big brother to the delay llama of course it's 329 dollars i think don't tell anyone but you can probably get it for around 300 bucks i don't tell anyone how i know that um definitely call your dealer and talk to your dealer um yep. so i got mine in i and um how it compares to the clockworks the clockwork is billed as like a deluxe memory man but better and that pedal's like in the neighborhood of 400 dollars, and that's competing with Electroharmonics own Deluxe Memory Man with Tap Tempo, which is insane to me that it's priced at, because it's not even new old stock parts, is priced at a whopping $4,500 for their Deluxe Memory Man with Tap Tempo. It is a full $200 more than their regular Deluxe Memory Man. $200 for Tap Tempo. I'm gonna say that again, in case you're not, in case you weren't paying attention. $200 to add tap tempo. $200. Um, not, not of my that's money. Insane. Not of, not of my money. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's, I love tap tempo. I think it's, it, that should be a required thing. And I, and I've been quoted, I think on the show before saying you don't need it. I think I want to kind of recant on that statement a little bit and go into that too. Um, so what you get in the delay llama, you get a bright analog delay. It's got a tape mode. It's got uh, a pitch shift mode. So it'll do pitch shifted repeats. And it has a random mode where it will cycle between one of the modes with random parameter settings. Now, yep. everybody, when they first tell them that, it's like, that sounds terrible. And actually, when we went through it today, I went to Good Time Music and I showed it to, uh, to Jeff over there. Um, we went through it today and then we hit that mode and he was like, ugh. But I was thinking, like, I didn't get to run them through, like, what you can actually do with that mode that's really, really useful. So if you set it with a super quick time and a long repeat, you can have it do these crazy patterns that sound like, um, I want to say like a random like a random tone generator. And you could theoretically run that into a looper and do like, you know, a three second loop of random sounds and then run that through like a reverb and then have like this crazy bed of ambient stuff going on. And... and um, it's that kind of sound design stuff that I think like sets pedals like this apart. They have kind of wacky, weird features like that. You can do things that you can't with like something like a Super Puss, which is more geared towards, and I'd say that, I know that got some wacky features in it too, but something like, um, let's say just the Deluxe Memory Man, right? You're not going to get those kind of wacky sounds out of it. Now, uh, the third mode or the, the pitch shift mode and then the tape mode, and then there's a modulated mode and then just basic dry repeats. There's a kill dry switch. So if you want to turn off your dry signal, you can. It has the option for trails on or off. So if you don't want to, if you want to use it in true bypass mode, no trails. And you got that as an option, which is really cool. Um, and then, of course, the tap tempo, you got your, you know, division selector. 
um, two of the knobs are dual function. There's a cool like arcade stick, uh, arcade button on it that you hold down. And then while I was held down, you can use the knobs to change uh, the other parameters. It takes about 15 minutes to learn to use the pedal. It's, it's not bad at all. Um, so how does this compare to the clockwork? Well, the clockwork's a deluxe memory, man, right? This is a bright analog delay. So it's a little bit different. This is better at slapback. Um, this is going to be better at um, anything where you want to have more shimmer to your sound. Um, whereas Deluxe Memory Man is going to be better at sitting back in the mix, maybe not getting as offensive in, in the sound. When I turn the delay on, I want to hear it. Um, <laughs> I want people to know it's there. This actually makes a better faux reverb, in my opinion, um, which I know a lot of people are like, but reverb's usually dark. Yeah, but that's the problem, right? So when you use a reverb, it's usually dark. Um, that's why people are into shimmer and stuff now, because it sits different in the mix. So I've been using it almost always on with a slapback sound, and then I have a, a preset, because it's got four presets on it. I've got a preset for longer delays. And of course, I can always use a slapback sound and hit the, the tap tempo. So, I mean, if I want to slow it down, I can do that. Um, the vibrato is good enough in it that you can use it for like really wacky stuff, especially if you use the kill dry on it and you set the time to nothing. I mean, it's just yep. bonkers. Uh, delay time on this is 800 milliseconds. And going into the clockwork, I think the clockwork is like 1400 or 1200. It's, it's closer to Deluxe Memory Man, but that's why they're grittier because they're using the same amount of chips, but they're dialing them at a lower bit rate effectively right which basically means that um they're tuning the pedal to not have as much fidelity um as as length of time uh this pedal i there should have been a video running underneath me talking here but this pedal if you open one up it's just crazy jam-packed with stuff i mean the, the board is incredibly well laid out and it is literally like wall-to-wall -wall components in the smallest enclosure they could get was like the bigger it's about you know I'm, I'm doing the um, the uh, the goalpost from football thing. It's about the yay big. Um, yeah. So Clockwork's about the same size, right? Deluxe Memory Man clone. And then we want to talk about the Sir one before we before we move on. Um, and I only want to talk about that because that that's probably the biggest comparison in the room right now. A lot of people think that's the delay to beat. I'm here to tell you I'm not a big fan of the idea of that delay. I haven't tried it, so. Don't shoot the messenger, but there are some serious drawbacks in that pedal. And I think that's what I want to call attention to um, as, you know, the end of the what's new. So I'm going to give you a downer, buying all this crap. But um, I want to talk about something that's sort of negative. So, Jim, have you, have you watched any of the Sir, uh, what is it called? The Sir, um, we'll find out. It is the Sir Discovery Analog Delay. Oh, no. Okay. Nope. So, Pete Thorne's done a demo of it, of course, because he's a sore, in, sore indoor C, yeah. right? Um, and he made it sound really good, right? But anything he plays sounds good. Uh, that's the first thing right. to point out. So, here is my takeaway. It is a analog delay, basically in the style of a deluxe memory, man. Uh, it has a similar amount of time. It ha I mean, once you... I like. I don't understand why why people think that the... It's like it's like a genital measuring contest, right? People want to like judge a delay by its by its delay time. Anything over six hundred milliseconds is just gravy, 
right? And between 600 and 400 is not a deal breaker. If you if you're like below 200 milliseconds on your delay time, it's useless. But like, because you need to be able to get beyond a slapback, right? Um, so that's why I'm saying that. So like, between 200 and 600 is going to be a perfectly fine pedal for like 99% of applications. Right. Um, without looking at the specs on the Sur, I know it's I know it's up there. Uh, but here's where things start to get kooky, right? So it has a digital readout for your display time or for your delay time, which is cool, right? Like that's a feature you don't see in a lot of analog delays and it allows you to precisely dial in the right amount of time. It has MIDI in and out. So it has MIDI. I'm assuming it has presets that you can recall. And it may be a lot. I didn't look at the MIDI sheet to see if you could adjust controls. I think MIDI control in an analog delay is a great idea. Um, I don't think it's necessary if you have presets. So just putting that out there. The uh, Delay Llama does not have MIDI control per se, but you can control it. It has three separate control inputs on the side of it. They're not MIDI, but I do believe you can send a CV signal into this thing, which means that you can use any real you know, expression controller or anything right. that can put out an expression control voltage or even like... Um, I'm trying to think of um, modular synthesizers do that where right. they set a CV voltage in. So there's a lot of options there that you can do that you can do with that, that but they're just not MIDI to recall presets. The Sir Discovery has uh, a, a tap tempo foot switch built into the pedal. It has a bypass foot switch. It has um, single output, so it's not stereo. And that I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. It has output for expression pedal in addition to a separate tap output. So if you don't like your tap on the pedal, I assume that also means you can probably put it into a mode where um, you can use presets off the tap. Um, and it has, uh, I'm not even sure what controls those are. They look like preset buttons and of course divisions. It's got five divisions. A lot of pedals only have three. Um, yeah, it does have presets for sure. I can see that now. Here's where things get dicey. All of that stuff aside, which is all great. Uh, I've probably should talk about the regular controls too. So you got your time control, mix control, regen control. You got low cut and high cut. So you can actually adjust the filtering on it, which is cool. Speed and depth for modulation. Here's where things get dicey. This pedal only runs at 18 volts. So yeah. only 18 volts. So yep. if you are almost at the end of your power supply, you can plan on buying another power supply to go with this. Yep. Now, you're automatically going to tie up two outputs on your new power supply if you do that. Just bear in mind, you know, you're already getting you're already getting into that sort of a situation where this has got a funky requirement. Um, here's where it gets even dicier. This pedal retails for five hundred and fifty dollars for a single analog delay. It does not have a built-in charge pump and is not stereo. Now, I realize saying stereo analog delay means you have to have a big box with stereo chips in it, full stereo analog signal path. But for $550, you get features that you can find in things like the Aquapus and the Delay Llama Extreme with a display. 
and an 18 volt power requirement. No charge bump. Yep. Now, I'm going to point out something. So the, all of these things that I just said about it being stereo, not being stereo, and the, the uh, 18 volt DC requirement. If you buy a Deja Vibe, um, the MDV2, which is the one I have, right. he knew that people were going to balk at the 18 volt DC requirement, so he built a charge pump into the circuit. There are quite a few puddles on the market today that have a charge pump built into them where they don't even disclose to you that the pedal actually runs at 18 volts. 18 volts, yep. Because even if you run a 9-volt adapter into it, it's going to convert it to 18 volts DC. Yep. So, why didn't they do that with this pedal? It's $550, and the charge pump's like 5 6 bucks worth of components max. It's it's peanuts. That, that's components and labor to put it together. Um, it's literally like six or eight items you solder to a little bitty board. I just, th this pedal, uh, it's indicative of a lot of things I've seen out of Sir lately, which is like, here, we've got this really high-end guitar, and we know everybody loves Sir, so we're just going to charge $3,500 for it, even though there's only like 20, you know, really only a $2,000 guitar. Uh, that's Sir in a nutshell. I mean, it's a company that makes $3,000 strats. That's, that's what they make. $3,000 strats. I mean, it's. I, I, I'm not saying that there's like not a market for that. Obviously, there is, but it's like, has the world gone mad? I mean, the Strat is kind of like the building block guitar. It's. I, I know that, I, and I'm a Strat lover. Like anybody who knows me, so for me, it's like, I played a couple of Sirs, and I've been relatively unimpressed for the amount of money they charge for them, and they've only gone up since I played them. So. Yep. And then you got this guy, and then they get an I, I I was talking to somebody and they and they kind of shot me down. They're like, well, yeah, but it does this and this, and it's the only pedal. It's like that's not an issue for me. Dude, everything Sir does is overpriced. I'm here to to, to in, just poke holes in your boat. The only thing that Sir makes that's not overpriced are things like the Sir Riot, the, the distortion pedal. The Sir Discovery is just like their IR loader, which is literally just put the IRs in the box with a really good load attached. There's no, the Captor X that we have, Jim, is a better product than the Sir IR loader. And I know people are like, but the load's better in the Sir IR. I don't care. You don't buy a Captor X for how good the load is. You buy right. it because you want the best direct to front of house signal you can get your hands on. And then you just turn the load box off when you're playing on stage. That product is not really made for you to use the attenuator. You can use it. I use it all the time. Right, right. But like, if you ever crank it down to the bedroom setting, I mean, it just sounds, it doesn't sound good. It sounds okay. Um, so it is what it is. If you want this, sure, Discovery, sure, go for it. If you want to save a boatload of cash and get a great delay, the Lay Llama XL is cool. Uh, the Super Plus is cool. I actually was going to buy a Super Plus. I couldn't get my hands on one. Um, or yeah, even, even the clockwork looks to be really cool. And actually, um, if I hadn't bought the, the Leilam, I'd probably be looking harder at the J-Rocket clockwork because everything we have from J-Rock has been solid. So, um, but this, this pedal looks just, looks bonkers. All right, let's into what's new. It's been 40 minutes. Let's, let's move on. So we, we were going to cover Sweetwater. We're going to do, we're going to do 10 minutes on Sweetwater. Let's, let's keep it tight. Um, yep. So everybody knows Sweetwater got sold. Chuck Sirock sold the company, right? 
Everybody on the internet's been, oh my God, Sweetwater's going to collapse and it's going to get bad and you're going to get ripped off and there's going to be all these pricing changes. Um, I think Jim and I should be up front. We've already recorded this episode and then actually we didn't have any audio. So Jim and I know exactly where this argument's going. Um, yeah. It's going to be real easy to have this conversation. Uh, opening argument, I'll, I'll just give it right now. Uh, if you think that Sweetwater sold the company and like just gave up control, like like the Chuck Sarak just gave up control of the company. There's literally mountains of evidence saying that he didn't. Um, mountains, and I'll give I'll provide a couple of couple of items, and I'll let Jim take over. So number one, of course, nobody knows the nature of this transaction. Like he's saying, I'm going to go and work on the downtown area of Fort Wayne, which is a big project for him. Um, he and, owns a lot of stuff in Fort Wayne, Indiana. A lot. Yeah, of he owns like a third of the town. It's just, it's just nuts. Um, so he's saying that's what I'm doing, right? But he's already sold the company to an investment firm before, and then bought it back. Bought it back because he doesn't like having bank loans. Okay, he's like most musicians in that regard. We don't like dealing with banks. That's just a thing. Um, so I would find it. Very, very likely that in the near future, um, we find out how much involvement Chuck is still going to have with Sweetwater. He is the chairman of the board. Um, yep. And he left his right-hand man in control of the company. Guy that's been with right. him since like 1980-something. Um, right. So they basically was driving Sweetwater around in a van. A yeah. yeah. Um, so let's, let's just erase the idea that this is not this is going to be uh, there, there's no evidence that, you know, the company's not falling into dire straits. Uh, second off. And I think we, we established before Jim, this is not like a hostile takeover, like what we saw with Gibson or anything over the years. Um, this is, this is not a company that's in trouble. They've had a billion dollar year the year before. And in this industry, a billion dollar year, that's literally unheard of. Um, and they had been ramping up before 2020. So it wasn't just COVID that did this. Like going back to 2018 or 2017, I found an article where they were talking about, uh, Chuck was talking about the performance of the company. He said, our target is 1 billion and we're three quarter of the way there. So $750 million worth of sales in like 2018. So put that into perspective. They built this giant warehouse they have been making uh, a ton of improvements to their products and services. They've been bringing in new brands left and right. The company is extremely profitable. You buy this company. Are you trying to screw it? Like, it doesn't make sense. Jim, have at it. Yeah, I it, it, you pretty much covered all of the bases. Um, I think there are a couple things to remember when it comes to what happened with Guitar Center. And so anybody that tries this, this is apples and uh, steak. I mean, they're not even the same fruit uh, thing. They're, they're completely different. So, um, hey, hey folks, everybody, I want to I point something out. Jim used to work there and really likes Guitar Center. So for him to say yeah. this... It's like, it's just bonkers. When I hear this, I'm like, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah this is nowhere near what, you, what you've what you got going on there. So 
Um, first of all, anybody who's talked to their reps, of course, the reps are going to say what the company line has to be. But that said, anybody who's talked to their reps, even if you got one leaker, um, no one is saying, oh, yeah, things are going to shift. We're not going to be able to give you discounts. You're going to have to. No, nobody's saying that. I've spoken with my rep several times since before the news and since after the news broke it, it, within the last few weeks because I got a guitar coming. As you all know, I got a, a pre-order guitar coming. So I don't see I, I, I don't see anything different. Um, it I think it wouldn't what, be short term anyway, but right. any differences we see, I can't I imagine. Well, but I can't even imagine that they wouldn't be would be things that were on the table when, you know, the the, the like the the new investors have prompted this. Because again, exactly. Chuck, Chuck has the confidence of the board to be the chairman. So either that right. means he still has a major stake in the company, which I suspect is actually the case, or Correct. they have complete confidence in the way that the company is currently being run. Right. Otherwise, they would they would have said, "No, we're going to buy you out." We want to put our stooge in there to run things. Right. right. We're going to do what Apple did in the 80s. And we're going to put, was it in the early 90s? John Scully. We're going to, yeah, Ron Scully. No, John, John, John Scully. Yeah. And John Scully came from Pex, Pepsi, right? Yeah, he was did a he Pepsi. And Pe I think Levi's before that. Yeah. So let's get a guy who was in charge of um, soda to run a um, computer company. Whatever. Um, so here's here's what I'm getting at. I think the only thing that they want to do is provide them with the with the monetary ability to to broaden their horizons. Now they're already. I don't care who you talk to, with the exception of very few people. Sweetwater is the one place if somebody's going to go online, going to buy something. Sweetwater, if it's new, you, Reverb if it's used, right? That's our two kind of the the thing now, right? So. Why would you come in and go, you know what? I'm going to totally mess that up. No, you wouldn't do that. And you wouldn't give Guitar Center the chance to get up upper hand. So what do you do? You you stick with what you've got, but you, you allow for a broader audience. Where's that broader audience going to be? Well, it's going to be outside of the United States. I think that's really probably where they're going to go. Is we're going to hit on Asian markets and Indian markets, which a lot of people have not. Yeah. They're not breaking India. Right. And India um, has a huge, 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 massive musical instrument market. Uh, I mean, people are over there buying keyboards and stuff right and left. We are talking a, a, a country or a, a, an area that's got close to billions of people. I mean, India has millions of untapped um we Folks. have we have three hundred and thirty three million people in the United States that, that Sweetwater is currently selling to. Right. A market like India, India or China, billions, billions, billions. And so you've got you've got as many people playing the guitar as there are people in the United States. I mean that's really or well musical instruments. So that's really a market you want to break into, and it is the market that I imagine. I'm not sure, not hundred percent sure. I imagine that's what they look at, and they want to take the the um, success and build on that success, not break that success down. So, so one of the things we had in our original discussion that I want to kind of briefly touch on, um, Sweetwater is now at a point where they're no longer really competing with other companies in the United States because uh, really. because they, they've just gotten to the, I mean they're just a juggernaut. 
I mean, yeah. there are companies like I guess Music One Two Three and Zounds and uh, yeah, Musician's really, Friend and um, people Guitar Center, it. obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think the reason that those places are still sort of successful for the online sales, Guitar Center excluded, of course, um, is uh, they have alternative brands, right? So like, I know Zounds still carry they carry like like the uh, the stuff from Anderton's, the Anderton's exclusives. Um, I think they're still the only place where you can, oh, no, you can get Chapman at, at uh, Guitar Center, but for a while they were the only place you can get Chapman guitars. Um, and I think that's part of the part of why they're still around. Um, but there, that that's rapidly eroding. Like Sweetwater yep. is buying more and bringing in more and more product. I mean, they got they what just they got, just got Reverend. Reverend. Like yep. that's like phenomenal to me. Um, I've been, I've been win. drooling over Reverence uh, on their website huge, for weeks. Um, huge win. And I've been tempted to switch that um, pre-order to a Reverence. So it's, it's a, I don't blame you. I, I know a guy locally has a, I don't think it is a Reverend, but it's like a Reverend copy with three P90s yeah. in it that just, just smokes. I'm like, oh yeah. God, like, don't show me that. Um, so... Yeah, Reverend's a thing now over there, and and uh, I I really think that they're they're looking at the European market because but they already had. Here's the important thing: they already had Mesa, even before Guitar Center was getting them back. Mm-hmm. So they already had that. They already had all the big names. We don't have to go through them. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And so, and I think didn't didn't they just do they have Rickenbacker? I don't know if they have Rickenbacker, but. Um, the point is, they're they're a um, like you said they're a juggernaut. And when people think about buying online, people do not think of Guitar Center. No, when they think of buying online, that is not where they think about going. <laughs> Sweetwater's biggest competitor in the United States is probably Reverb.com. Let, let's yeah. be let's be real. Um, so moving beyond that, right? So like, what are their what is their biggest like retail competitor in the world? Probably Toman. And so I think they're they're looking to toehold and fight and fight it out in Europe. Uh, Toman is a is a massive company, and they basically provide for all the European nations, Russia, um, North Africa, and I believe Asia already. So for them to go toe to toe with Toman, they've got to they've got to get capital because they can't just go go and uh, knock on their door and be like, yeah, hey, we're just going to build a building over here and um, let you guys smoke us. Uh, it's going to well, be Toman, a big deal. Yeah, Toman was already bringing YouTubers from the states to. That's it. That's a shot across Sweetwater's bow. Sweetwater right. now. Sweetwater did not have a YouTuber program. They do now. They um, do now. They did not have an affiliate program. They do now. Um, they have all of these things to try and like get some of that that sweet sweet um, independent marketing. And um, that's an, a great indicator of who they're competing against because you don't see like Guitar Center's not encouraging uh, independent um, YouTubers. They're not. They don't want independent marketing. Um, I, I think they're still sort of like stuck in the older ways of how you run a corporation, in the sense that like they got some brick and mortar mentality still going on. And I literally, I literally picture the people at guitar center in charge of it like a bunch of old men and for me to call somebody old they're really old right it's 
bunch of old men sitting around smoking cigars going, how did we do it back in the day? That, that'll be the best way to do it. Gosh darn it. It's God, very, it's very like retail in 1978. Um, yeah. Where retail is dead today, guys. I don't know if you're paying attention. That's why you're about to close a 30-year source. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, maybe you should think about that for a minute. Um, and we've seen, uh, we've seen a lot of their competitors go down the same path. So this is like not new to us. Uh, we did talk about briefly a couple things that Sweetwater could do that would be bad ideas. Number one would be open up retail stores here in the United States. That would be a terrible idea. Unless it's a destination retail store where they're like, we're going to put right. in, in LA, we're going to put a, we're going to put a Sweetwater right. retail warehouse where in LA, a Chicago, a New York, a Miami, may, maybe those and, and possibly Dallas. I mean, you got to put one aside. Right, right, right. And I'm thinking that's it, really. Five, four or five locations. Mm-hmm. That's it. And you've and you've touched everything. And that's just so you can get number one, you can get product to people faster because you're now much quicker in your in your um, product line. Because Fort Wayne's dead center of the United States, right? They just I mean, lucked out on that more, one too. I was like, they yeah. chose this place, right? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. It was like that. Just happened, happened to be where there. they started. <laughs> now, anybody who's not uh, familiar with Fort Wayne. Um, it's it's flat, dead flat. Okay, um, I, I was supposed to live out there a while back, so maybe I used to work maybe, maybe and, not quite as flat as Texas, but it's right, flat. But it's <laughs> flat. I mean, when you're when you come from New York, which I do, upstate where there's mountains, that is flat. And the other the other thing about it is there's a lot of very it's believe it or not, as as David mentioned before, Chuck isn't into having loans because Chuck comes from a relatively old-fashioned it's weird that he's taking on us new stuff because he's relatively old-fashioned in that way there's a lot of amish in the area correct okay so yeah. so you have um a, a very and if you've ever flown into fort wayne and i have flown into fort wayne i know there's a couple of youtubers go oh yeah I flew <laughs> there's, like a, there's like a candy machine and a soda machine and about 12 seats I, i'm kind of he's not exaggerating not exaggerating as much as you might think um and like four you know places for planes to pull in and not a lot of space yet you know where they smartly though they you know where they put that that uh um warehouse is right there near ups fedex that that is right there where they can just turn around go yeah here just give your stuff over here they could literally walk over there with a you know, uh, um, very strategic, mm-hmm. um, and and some very smart people out there. You've got um, uh, what the heck's the name of the Bat Baylor, uh, the 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 college over there. Um, just a just a very smart move, and of course, I mean, the location, like I said, is the middle of the United States. It's it's really good. Uh, it's just I, it, it's like a lot of things coming together to make that place uh, what yeah. it is. But but mostly some of, it purposeful, some of it kismet. Mostly just the fact that like in the eighties, like musicians went to Sweetwater for their microphones and their studio equipment yeah. because Chuck was a guy that knew stuff, and Chuck yep. was a musician, so he treated you like a musician, yep. like your buddy that you were buying stuff from, and that, and he realized that was the service model that was going to carry him through. They didn't start right. car- carrying guitars until like the mid 2010s oh, or something yeah, like or, yeah, yeah i mean it was like 
2008. It might have been like 2005 or something, but it was, it was like, the, yeah, the it was like, I think it was like 2010. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I remember ago. them calling me and saying, do you need a guitar? They started with Godin originally, and then it just blossomed into every other brand they've got. I mean, their wall of brands is just stupid now. There's so much stuff on it. Um, yep. But, and they literally have a wall there with just brand stickers on it. And it's like, you just sit there and you just go, I don't, I don't even know. I don't know what that is. Um, so anyway, don't believe all the right. stories you're hearing from YouTube. Negative all- shit leads. And people right. are, are, they're running with this and they're going to feed it down your throat and you're going to buy it and you're going to participate in the comments and you're going to get upset because corporate America is damaging your you know, beloved company. First off, it's company, Right. It's still taking your money, right? It's not something you should sit there and be like, this is good or bad. But just understand, um, I don't think this is nearly as negative as it's made out to be. There was one comment I saw in one of these videos that I do want to address before we move on to the next topic. And there was somebody saying, just look for your prices to go up. They're going to go up because they're going to use this. Look, they had a third party come in and buy the company. Um, That means they have investment capital now. I don't think they want to tamper with pricing. I think that's the last thing they want to do, um, especially because one of our other topics tonight is about pricing. Um, so we'll get there when we get there, but just keep that in mind. Um, so anyway, continue to shop at Sweetwater. Don't worry about it. And if that's things right. start to change, I'm sure you'll hear about it from us as well as others. Um, so next topic is uh, I, it's one that... that we found out about this week and I kind of did a little bit of digging and you did a little bit of digging. Fender launched a new line of instruments, the player plus series. Jim, maybe you want to talk about what player plus actually is, and then we can talk about what it really is. (laughs) Yeah. You want me to tell you what you want me to go over what it really does? Well, all right. So uh, uh, this is what I see as player plus. Can I, you want me to start with what I gave you as earlier? Uh, well, why don't, why don't we just okay. talk? I'm, we... Right, let's talk about the specifics. Right. So the player plus, here's what here's what Fender did. So they took the players, they rolled the fingerboard, um, and they put noiseless pickups in them. Uh, and they there's put, actually a little bit more here um, too, but go there's, ahead. There's a couple more. The, the, the basics, the bare bones of the things you'll like the most are no, – or. Most people will like most noisy pick, noiseless pickups, roll fingerboard, twelve-inch radius, and um, locking, uh, locking tuners. Locking tuners. Two-point two tremolo, which is no longer standard right. on most of the line. That's um, right. Two-point tremolo, and it on the bottles that have the tremolo, and you have the, um, uh, I mean, there's some accoutrements like the spaghetti logo. Oh, and you get the push pull. As you can so say, push pull. Um, so on the uh, Stratocaster that pulls in the um, uh, depends on which one you get. If you get an HSS, right, right, it, right, um, splits coil. If you get a SSS, it's very much like the. Um, it's it's really just a player version of the uh, the Lux, the Deluxe. So you've got um, uh, the push pull for the um, for the regular telly. I got I wanted to get it right. The regular telly, the two. The two pickup telly, that push pull puts them in it phase reverses the pickups, or puts them in series. The other one, the Nashville telly, 
brings in the neck pickup no matter what position you're in. The Stratocaster, it brings in the neck pickup on the SSS. On the HSS, like I said, it splits the coil. Um, I, that's, that's what I've got. 22 fret neck. 22 fret neck, yep. which yep. traditionally they're 21. Um, yep. Colors you've never seen before, right? Boy. So uh, I believe they're all colors we've never seen before. Bellar Blue is actually like a two-tone. Uh, yep. which is a front-to-back fade. I like that blue. I mean, I like the blue. That one and the tequila, that's probably the, that sunrise yep. color, are Yep, the tequila gorgeous. sunrise is a really cool-looking. The Cosmic Jade is good-looking. That's green. Yeah. That's green sparkle. Yeah, green they guitars. do have a three-color sunburst. That's the only one in the line that you've seen before. And then the silver yep. burst is very similar to what you'll find in the mocha burst. I think it is on the uh, right on the, the, the high-end oh, one. Oh, I don't have to get the ultra. down before. Okay. Yep. So... Here's why, here's, here, I'm going to play devil's advocate a bit because I'm not buying one of these. That's my devil's advocate on this. want everybody to know, this is aimed at me. Like, this is a shot across my bow. I looked at these and I was like, hot damn. They're finally figuring it out. They built a modern Stratocaster. This is what people want right now, which is, this is a circular, is what this is, at $9.99. That is what this is. The only things it don't have it doesn't have. Sorry, I, I yep. reverted to my ancestral ways. Um, yep. <laughs> the, the things that it doesn't have. The only thing it ain't got. <laughs> yeah, the only thing it don't got. Um, no, uh, it, it doesn't have the Godo 510, right? It has mm-hmm. their version of the Godo 510, which is a two-point tremolo. Yep. It doesn't have stainless steel frets, but it's an uh, a a not an American made guitar, but, but a Mexican made guitar at nine ninety nine. You're not going to get stainless steel frets on that. If you were going to get that out of Ibanez, you can get, um, you can get the, I forget what the name of the, the series is. Um, AZ yep. made in Indonesia. Okay. Right. Big difference there in terms of labor and price. So, yep. um, I looked at these and I was like, Wow, they just like they just basically took the sales out of uh, Charvel because a yeah. lot. Of, uh, Jim, you missed on one one important element of these. These are a twelve inch radius. Oh, I, I mentioned that. Oh, did you? I did. I didn't yep. recall you saying that. These are a twelve inch radius, which is why I said this. Yeah, that's that super is, important. That is shot right at us. That that's meant for us too. Yeah, seriously. At, at, and AZ players and Sir players and all of the yep. modern Stratocaster twelve inch, yeah, yeah. So, um, here's where it gets gets interesting, right? So, like, let's think about the price point for this. These are between a thousand and I think it's eleven hundred. Eleven. I think the most expensive one's like eleven hundred. Um, yeah. Unless you go to the base, and I think it's eleven ninety nine for the five string deluxe. Yeah, um, which I the, the base just seems like like uh, we we just needed to make sure we offer a base in these colors. Yeah, they got deal. a five string jazz. Uh, I didn't. I meant to say uh, active, not deluxe. Then uh, that one I think is eleven ninety nine. Put it in perspective on this one. We, we'll go through the P base uh, spec here for a minute. Three band yep. active EQ, so it's active. Yep. Yep. Four saddle high mass bridge. That's something yep. that people have asked about for years. That's right. 12 inch radius fingerboard with rolled edges and yep. a modern C shaped neck. So that is actually decidedly modern as well. 
I don't yeah. think that you're going to. Fu- this is more like a shot against like GNL or yeah. or companies like that that are offering a modern base that has yep. vintage aesthetic. Um, yeah, I didn't look Music at the tele- I didn't look at the Telecaster a whole lot. So I'm excited by these. I think for a player, you know, used to. I think we started the show. We talked about the um, the professional delineation line of a guitar being a thousand bucks. I think these are yep. firmly like this is the top of the of the. Um, weekend warrior class and yep. and i think that these are going to sell really well for them yep um yep. jim you you had a comment though that i thought was very interesting it was it was something about yep. cannibalism uh i was talking about the uh the iphone thing oh no i thought she said that when we talked about this initially that you said this was going to cannibalize vendor sales oh it will and and here's the thing so it, you um if i didn't if these were out when I bought my Ultra, I'd have bought one of these. Yeah. Why would you buy an Ultra? No brainer. No brainer. I don't need a, a compound radius. I just didn't want a nine and a half inch radius. I didn't I didn't need um all the you know all the other stuff. To be honest with you, what is the what is the Ultra got and especially even the Lux, what's the Lux really giving you that this guitar doesn't give you? Well on the Ultra you get the, the heel. And that, in my mind, is the main selling, main and, selling point and you know of those what? guitars. And that's exactly what got me to my comment before about um, the what Fender's doing. It's just like iPhone. It's like Apple. But we can come back to that if you want. Well, here's, here's we, I think we touched on it um, on the episode I just edited and put up, which is that that's like the custom shop thing. They're, they're putting these artificial lines in the sand. Right. For you to have to jump through hoops to get to the next model. Up. That's right. So they had to. They had to leave two things out. They had to leave that that contour heel. And here's the thing: they could have put the the um, the other series of the contoured heel, the the kind of contour here. The one that was just like one the curve. The deluxe. It's just a little curve. It was flat with it, a it circle around it. So instead of a square yeah. in your hand, you had the thing. A little, you know. But but the thing is that that the only thing that deluxe is the, the ultra deluxe even. So mine, I keep pointing back, but it's actually on the floor behind me. Mine has the um, uh, the nice, beautiful contoured heel, right? I love that heel, by the way. That's a, that, that's a huge selling point for me, and um, and I love the neck. Um, and the other thing that they're giving you is the um, in the deluxe ultra is the gosh darn um, stainless steel frets that you just mentioned. So really, this is an ultra without the contoured heel, or a deluxe ultra without the the contoured heel and the steel and steel frets. And I go ahead. I, I just think that's, buy one of these, get a deal on it. Yeah, take it to your luthier, give them the five hundred and fifty dollars, have them put in stainless steel frets, do your single fret job you'll ever have to do on the guitar, and be done with it. Try um, the you, he, yeah, the heel, well, you have to get a- totally minimal issue. People make a big, a, way bigger deal out of that I than know. it is. How um, many of us are playing up that high that often, that much? Exactly. You see the good I'm smile here? Yeah, because you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those, there's no money behind the ninth fret. Or <laughs> I rarely play, I rarely play, even when I'm up high, I rarely play beyond the 17th fret. Rarely. And if I am on the 17th fret, guess what strings I'm on? The PRS is the first guitar I've ever had where I play up the 24th. Yeah. 
I, I believe that. Yeah. That's because it's a very comfortable um, guitar to play it up. Well, I mean, I suck at playing above the 22nd because the frets get so thin in between and I got sausage fingers, but yep. um, I actually do use the stuff beyond the 22nd now, which I'm like looking at my lowly strat over here and going, what am I going to do with you? No. Um, yeah. I tell you what I'm going to do with you. I'm putting nines on you because I can't, uh, I can't handle his manly tens anymore. Um, <laughs> I got, I bought two sets of nines today for the first time in like a decade. Um, yeah, and I, it, it, we'll get to that. That that's a whole other conversation. I can go into gig report or something. Yeah. Um, well, like yeah. I said, I, I just think that that's, um, uh, you know, so I recently, as you know, I just ordered the iPhone 13. Um, I got, I got the 11 pro max. My kid, his phone got crushed. Um, one of my sons. So I'm giving him my 11 Pro Max, which just got paid off. Uh, so, <laughs> so I did the uh, thing. Anyway, so here I am with the 11 Pro Max, getting the 13 Pro Max. And the only thing I'm getting is eventually cinematic mode, which is actually not coming right away. Um, and um, some, uh, you know, an A15 Bionic versus the A14 Bionic. I'm getting the... Um, you know the, the the smallest of upgrades. You know a you're, lot more battery life. That's the one thing that everybody. You are getting a not incrementally and, better camera, but a camera that's like on another level totally. Yeah, um, and I'm getting a, a um, I'm getting a battery that's on another level, and I'm doubling my RAM, my uh, uh, not my RAM my um, your storage capacity. Yeah. This is a half terabyte. Now the funny thing is, I have shot video with this. I've literally shot whole gigs worth of video, just same video. Whole same. Time. And guess what? But but there's a reason I, for that, Jim, because it, sure because it squashes the files. If you're using a video app that'll actually do a less a less lossy um, encoding, right. yeah, you'll fill that up fast. Um, I know. I have to clear mine out pretty regularly, especially when I use it for the show. So, yeah. But, you know, I mean, the terabyte's going to be nice. The one terabyte's going to sure. be nice. Sure. Yeah, but the, absolutely. But my point of all that is, it's like, should I get a player, if you're a person saying, should I get a player or should I keep my player? Should I get a player plus? Here's the question you have to ask yourself. Do you want the noiseless pickups? Do you want the rolled fingerboard? Do you want the 12-inch radius? Those are the questions you have to ask yourself. Because on the player, you have the 9.5-inch radius, the flatter... Um, and the uh, price is board. negligible. The price difference and is negligible. Like seven hundred fifty to nine hundred. Yeah. You know, save your save your uh, coin for save another month, and right. and then get into the get into the nine ninety nine one. Like why? I would. Um, I honestly Target. think that, I think Fender's doing something here. I think Fender's sort of playing with fire. So I think Fender is is creating. Now remember, this is a really small series. There's there's four total guitars in this series. There's yeah, a right SSS Strat. Now, I'm getting there. An HSS Strat, a two pickup Tele. I don't think they did another yep. one, did they? And then they did the the precision and the three pickup Tele. Oh, I don't, I'm not seeing all of them, I guess. Um, but I think there's only there's I think there's six models. There's two Tellys, yeah. the, the two pickup, the three pickup, two and then tellies. the precision and a jazz bass. That's right. Um, so and there's a five string jazz as well. So you oh, okay, so all right. But that's not like a super basic run for them. Yep. And there, there's no jazz masters. There's no, like, let's keep that in mind. They didn't touch right. any of the other stuff that 
will likely come at some point in the future because right. I think right. Fender is testing the water on whether they can sell modern guitars. They know yeah. that the vast majority of their sales is vintage focused. And I think they're starting to realize they have a super young market and that there's and that young market is now not as interested in vintage as they were because they're right. producing quality stuff. They've kind of changed the mode over the last couple of years that modern Fender is not as bad as it once was. And you can buy a modern Fender and it's comparable to some of the vintage stuff that you've had your hands on over the years. Would I buy a modern Fender over a 1970s Fender? Probably. Is that a dumb move? Probably, because my my 1970s Fender will go up in value. The modern one? Right. Forget it. Um, Right. But... That's where this all gets interesting, right? So they launch five or six guitars. What are they really doing? They're going to tip their toe in this water, and then they're going to find out there's a plethora of people that are willing to purchase this stuff. These things will be gone so fast, your heads will spin. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be hard to get. And what's going to happen is they're going to to double the line with the number of models, and eventually they're going to phase out the regular player series. That's That's what's going to happen long term. The the, the player plus will turn into the player series. You'll see you'll a blurring have, of the lines. It, right. You'll you'll have what I call that the American performer. Whatever that's gonna be the only old fashioned uh, well, with So I can even see them having a line called American Vintage. Yeah. And, yeah. and even player well, yeah, yeah. or even player vintage. So for the people that are like, you know, somebody looking for that fifty seven strat, they can get the player vintage model. And I wouldn't even be surprised if some of the features and accoutrements for those are actually more specific to what vintage guitars are really like. Because a lot of their yeah. stuff is middle-of-the-road vintage right now. It has certain yep. features that you would find on vintage guitars, but not all the features you would find on a vintage guitar. Notice that everything in their line is in a 9.5-inch radius almost. There's not a whole lot of production with 7.25. And I could see them going back and making a 61 reissue and a 57 yep. reissue that have that 7.25 inch radius and going that way with the vintage style stuff so it's yep. more accurate and then having yep. this modern stuff fill the void for the players that are that are they've traditionally been targeting i think they're sort of looking at the line and they're going in, in two or three years they're going to be looking at the line and going wow so we can actually have a diversified lineup we don't have to just have like one guitar that tries to satisfy both sides of the market and they're at this unique position now where they can do that because they've, I mean, let's face it, Jim, the entire time we've been doing the show, it's like, I think we started in like 2015. Yeah. Fender has been the dominant guitar company, um, yeah. which, which my entire childhood from 2000 up, Fender was kind of like everybody knew Fender and most people liked them. But, but I felt like there were a lot of other companies people were buying. Ibanez was the big company when I was a kid. And the other one was um, was Gibson. Like, everybody had Les Pauls. Um, and I, I that since died out. Because, um, of course, I grew up during New Metal, which is a big part of that. And Paul Reed Smith, right? So now it's gone Fender, 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 Fender. Everywhere I look, I see Fender guitars. And that is a, a testament to how good their marketing is. It's a testament to how they sit in the marketplace, how their guitars are perennially good. Um, and I f- feel like this is going to be just another icing on the cake for them. Now, we usually don't have positive comments about a launch of products they do because they do right. stuff like the Paranormal series, which right. just don't make yeah. sense. That, that's them yeah. trying to compete with Reverend. 
you know, or, or somebody like that. It just doesn't yeah. make sense. Um, they need to focus on the side of the market that's not just buying guitars and hanging them on the wall and focus on the people that are playing them day, in, day, day to day. That is your core. These are the models that everybody loves and, you know, we've sold for decades unchanged kind of thing. Um, so anyway, that's my two cents. Uh, I think this is going to be a good launch for them. I think, I think you, you kind of echo that sentiment. You were talking about incremental changes with, um, like how I, I actually kind of disagree with that in the, in the sense, I, I kind of want to touch on that briefly. So you're thinking like each iteration of the iPhone has like marginal changes to the next iPhone. And that this is like uh, an extension of what the player series is. Now they get the player plus. And I don't, that, that denotes like passage of time. I think they already segment their lineup at any given time to be like, this price point gives you this, and this price point gives you this, and this price point gives you this. Right, but remember, these were the, so these were the deluxes. Mm -hmm. What they've done is they've done away with the deluxe and brought it to Player Plus. So really, you've got to compare these to, not the player, but the Well, but the, the deluxe, deluxe is still around. So that's why I'm saying that's well, a little bit different. No, they're doing away with them. That's just it. They're doing away with the deluxe. That's what Anderson said. Anderson, sorry. Anderson said they're doing away with the deluxe. Oh, so those right, are right, right, out. right, right. We're talking about the, the, play, the deluxe players. Okay, because... Right, that's what I meant. Player, I was yeah. thinking you were talking about the ultra. This is oh, them getting no, 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 super no. complicated with the way that they've named their I know. stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. they used to have the deluxe was the old ultra the under the older... Yeah, okay. That's right. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. So they're getting away with the they're getting doing away with the docks line, which is was the one above the player, and they're bringing these in. So they got a, they did away with the that's what I was saying about they took away the the heel joint, which is weird cuz the deluxes some of the deluxes had the carved heel joint. And so, you know, again, and this is the other thing that I was talking about. I think that the one thing they keep leaving off there's there's a there's always, and it's not always the same thing. There's just always one thing. Well, let's leave the hail carve off. Let's put this in there. Let's, let's. One snag. Let's right. give them all these like, accoutrements, gotta, but let's leave off the stainless steel and let's leave. Right. Because you know. we want to give people this, this odd feeling that they have to buy the Deluxe Ultra. Yeah, but that's a segmentation. So this is the difference between what Apple does and what Fender's done. Fender's right. setting up a lineup that they intend to sell stacked all at the same time, right? right? Whereas right. when I, when Apple does it, they plan on phasing out older products like yeah. almost at the same time. Notice yeah, the time they do a product announcement, they've already closed out the other ones. Um, yep. So, or, you know, the two generations prior, whatever it is. But that's basically right. like, that's how they do their delineation of features. And if Fender was only offering like a finite number, I would, I would totally agree with you, but I think I only sort of half agree with you. And I do think there's, there are similarities between, you know, the stack sales method where incremental steps up to the ladder of how much money you want to spend gets you how much features. Um, and, and I think that's the way that pretty much every product gets sold uh, where you have these features, but the thing that sucks about it is they have so many products that these, these linear, these um, lines in the sand they're drawing, are like they're kind of hilarious here's this super modern playing guitar with a giant neck heel right 12 inch radius all the accoutrements you would expect on like a modern style guitar except yep. here's this giant neck heel like what the hell um now here's what i think 
and this is this is the I'm glad we didn't transition away from this topic because there was something that was brought up um, by you just a minute ago that just sort of like clicked something in my head. What is Fender? Who is Fender competing with right now? What is the guitar that like was a warning shot across Fender's bow in the last five years that made them kind of wake up and go, wait a minute, maybe we need to rethink about how we're how we're approaching this. And it's are you talking about the uh, PRS the Silver, Silver Sky? Sky? I'll tell you why. Your average Strat player today uh, that's younger, right? Which is Fender is very young focused. They're not so much focused on the older side of the market as people think they are. Um, because, you know, they, they have diehards over there already. They don't really need to worry about satisfying those people at this point. Um, they want to bring in new blood, which is why they have things like their, you know, their uh, guitar uh, teaching thing that's aimed at millennials and millennials and younger, actually. Um, so let's let's shift focus back to, to topic at hand. The PR Silver Sky was a shot across their bow because all of those young players, they all like John Mayer. They all look at John Mayer like Eric Clapton. So they're looking at it and going, uh-oh, he just he just did a guitar with a giant neck heel. And it's got a lot of the features that we used to have. Like the two-point bridge is very, very similar to the the um the notched post bridge that uh prs does right right it's very like and and a lot of the things that the silver sky has are very similar to fender-esque stuff already but they're not being done in a way that john could have had done at fender and if they do these features fender knows they're gonna lose because they don't have anything to counter that so when they right. built this guitar i think there might have been a little bit of a talk about is the neck heel a detriment or a feature? Because right. the Silver Sky stole like hotcakes with a freaking giant neck heel on it. And there's another yeah, guitar coming just... out of PRS that's a warning shot across Fender's bow with a giant neck heel on it. Which one is that? It's the Fiore. Fiore? Fiore. Yeah. Which, from what I understand, is like pre-ordered out the ass. You can't yeah, get that, it. You, yeah, it's good luck trying to get one of those. Yeah, I mean, so it's the next yeah. Silver Sky, right? Yeah. Um, so put that into perspective. If, you're, if your target market is spending 2000 bucks on a competitor's guitar that's basically the same as what you've been offering with a few right. minor differences you're going to start paying attention to that. And I think Fender sort of like made this this guitar and they're kind of looking at it and going, the neck heel isn't a detriment here. It's a tonal thing. We left the neck heel on here because we think certain people will actually like it. It's got the same kind of people that would be willing to buy this guitar. Now, granted, right. there's a huge difference between a 12 inch radius and a seven, a seven and a quarter. So I kind of wonder if that's not what's going on with this series. But I suspect that some of the other weirder Stratocaster style offerings we've been seeing lately are sort of like, yeah, we we know we screwed up on that one, and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see start seeing some seven and a quarter necks out of Fender. I think that's yep. I think that's almost inevitable at this point. And the neck heel at some point, if you see in the marketing, you know, neck heel provides extra tonal snap or something. It wouldn't shock me if you don't see that at some point. 
in the next couple of years in marketing over there. Um, but I think that's how this guitar happened without the rounded heel, uh, the, the, the lower end rounded heel, not the big chamfer thing. Um, because they were looking and they're going, well, the, I mean, who are we compete with? <laughs> the Silver Sky is the only thing we compete with. And quite frankly, that's got a giant neck heel on it. So maybe it's not that big an issue. And I think that's really how that conversation probably went down. Because it's... I, I'm, you've got to wonder, um, is it because of John Mayer? I mean, because Mark Fiore is not... You he's mean a name, now, but he's not as big a name. But It's not Mark you, Fiore. But, um, no, the, the, not Fiore. Um, Mark uh, Letary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fiore means flower. Yeah. His Fiore daughter, is his daughter flower. Na- it was yeah, his daughter named the guitar. No, his daughter yeah. named it, yeah. And so, um, I just saw I him that. recently. He's incredible. Yeah, you you saw his show. So, yeah. my point is, he's not exactly a household name, but that guitar is flying out, flying out. Yeah, it's not even it's, getting to the shelves because it's, it's flying out the doors before it can get to the shelves. It's a circular. Look at it. It's a modern take yeah. on a, basically a Stratocaster. Yeah. Um, it's a hum single single with some attractive pickup sw- switching options and attractive yep. finishes. No pick guard, nope. um, gorgeous inlay and stuff. And like people are buying them. Big surprise, right? Yep. And it's How not about that. And I bet you the average age of people buying the Fiore is probably lower than the people buying the Silver Sky even. Right. By a year or two, not not tons, but but like a year or two, because, yeah, you know, there are older people that would still buy the Silver Sky. Of course, I, I know a lot of older people that buy the Silver Sky. Right. Personally. But that said, the Fiore, I think, is in the you know, your average is probably going to be in the in the mid to early 30s. Right. All right. Perfect segue. New segment. So we're talking about the Silver Sky and the Fiore. Let's talk about PRS price creep, shall we? So mm. P- PRS has been increasing prices for quite some time. I believe we've talked about this on the show before. So this is not a new topic. But no. I think it's worth actually having a conversation about what's going on with PRS prices. So I'm actually going to pull up um, Sweetwater so I can actually see sort of what prices are right now. Um, yep. And then I'm going to talk about some guitars I played today from PRS that I thought were fantastic. Okay. And I'm going to talk about their price point and and kind of explain why I don't necessarily disagree with their pricing model. Um, even though I really don't want to pay that for a core, I sort right. of feel like I'm probably going to at some point. Um, right. I don't like that idea, but it is what it is, I guess. So a true core model. Um, let's just look at a. They still have custom 22s in stock. Interesting. Um, they discontinued the custom 22, if you didn't know. Yep. That's one of the... And that's like... That's been a model forever. That's really wild that they discontinued that. At least yeah. to me. All right. So... I'm looking for like a bare... There's a lot of Paizo models on here. Here. Here is a PRS. By the way, it's... An awesome finish, and I just lost it because I made it full screen. Um, I knew what the price was, and I knew what the 
finish was, but I don't want to get the listing wrong. So it's a PRS 35th anniversary custom 24 with pattern thin neck in orange tiger, 3950. Um, a 10 top version is 5145. Let's see if we can find just a standard custom 24. Here's one. PRS custom 24 electric guitar with pattern thin neck, $4,000. Their core models are officially at the $4,000 price mark as of today. Yep. Um, the, the core I want is the studio, and that's at like $4,700. Right. And it's got, an extra, it's got an extra pickup. I yeah. do want to take a brief moment to sort of explain. Um, I don't actually think these prices are insane. I think these prices actually make sense to an extent. So I think when we started the show, a custom 24 was like 3450 or 3300. They weren't they weren't $4,000 yet. They were creeping. And we have watched them creep up like 150 200 bucks every year we've done the show. They hit 4000 this year and I think that's the magic number for me to freak out because it's like man, why are they going up so much? But they've been going up the entire time. It's something you don't notice. And this is happening to all brands. Every brand has to increase their prices once in a while. The interesting thing about PRS is um, because PRS is so indebted to the carp, the carve top um, and the wood prices have been slowly going up over time because a lot of this wood is being shipped to Indonesia for a, for a certain uh, guitar company to uh, make guitars and uh, also to China who's also making guitars for a certain guitar company that uses some uh, pretty nice top woods from time to time. Um, yep. Not because of what we covered earlier, which is there's this crazy wood shortage going on and the wood tariffs are up and all this. You pay for the wood, they, they grind away. Like, that's what you have to remember. And PRS yep. has these deep violin carves, and you're paying a lot of money for it. Um, but the other thing is, I watched a video on the finishing process, and some of these finishes have like 12 steps. And it's like, sand the guitar, put on this finish, wet the, or actually wet the guitar, put on this finish, or it's not a finish, but it's a stain, and then sand the guitar again, and then maybe apply water, and then let the water sit, and then wipe off the oil, and then like put on another stain so it's for two coats, and they might have 10 coats, and you're going what the hell? Like it takes like six hours to stain it. And that's not even with the dry time involved. And so there's literally a tech working on this guitar for like, you know, four hours or five hours staining your guitar. Um, and that's before they even finish it. And then it hangs for a month or two months in finishing um, to dry properly because now they're spraying nitro with a hardening agent. Um, it would be even longer if they weren't using a hardening agent. And it's like, yep. when you stop and you think about that, with the quality of guitars they put out, and if you haven't played PRS, like, please, just just find a dealer, go in and play some. I'm not talking about SEs. I'm not talking about S2s. Play a couple core models. You'll see why they're $4,000. There's nothing... I, I, can't, I have never had an experience with a guitar, a, what I would consider a production model, which these are no longer... I don't consider these production models as of today. Um, because of the price point, right? These are Les Paul custom territory now. 
um, which is a custom guitar. So when you go and you look at a custom 24, ironically, um, and you play it, and you see the attention to detail, and you hear that resonance that happens because they match the bodies and necks, which a lot of manufacturers don't do, that's why you buy a $4,000 guitar. I mean, looks aside. Now, I know some people who have some very, like, they're very opinionated about the looks of PRS guitars. They're gaudy. And that if you go into, like, the 10-top stuff or if you go to Wood Library, it's all about looks and not about tonality. Or that they pick they pick woods that look good but, like, don't actually hold up. And some of that's on the buyer, right? Because they're, you know, they're picking the woods for looks, right? Um, I would be the first guy to go to PRS and be like, do I want to do wood library? But, but Paul, I want you to pick the wood and I want you to go out there and I want you to find me the best sounding wood you have. I don't give a shit what it looks like. Yeah. Like, I, I, I honestly don't. I love ugly guitars. Find me something that's fugly that sounds like nothing you've ever built before. And I'll give you 10K for it. You know, like, just straight up. I don't even care what the wood is. Don't even tell me the species. It's not important to me. Um, if it resonates and all of them resonate together by playing a sympathetic vibration thing, like, because that's sort of what I've seen him kind of, like, indicate that's going on. Go ahead. You know, like, I'm all yours, man. Um, but I'm... I, I think this is the only line of guitars that you can get that is quote unquote production line, right? Where they do resonance matching. And I'm going to, I'm going to suggest something that I think a lot of people will think I'm just blowing smoke because I obviously have an S2, right? So like there's, I'm creating my own echo chamber. Uh, no, I played an S I played an S2 today. I think um, I know I played other S2s in the past that did not play like mine. But I will say, they do do wood matching even at the S2 level. Like, it's really clear that the match of that wood... So I, I played a lot of Gibsons before I bought my SG, and I've never seen one that, that was like what I've seen out of an S2 even. Because, and granted, I probably haven't played a good one, but at least the PRSs seem to be really consistently good. Oh, yep. great. Time for the cats to eat. Excuse me for a moment. And I have to get my headphones wrapped. My headphones are now wrapped around my chair. She can't get on before she gets up there. Audience. Come on. I got you. Michelle, let go. Jeez. I have you. That's my dog when we pick him up. He's like... She is. Uh, I've got to. She is p taken to doing this over the last couple of days when she's hungry, and it's starting to drive me insane. Because every time she does it, I freak out. This is the first time I've caught it on camera. So let me get my. All right. <laughs> so I, I I play like I said I played a lot of Gibsons and I wanted them to be good like that my my SG was pretty great okay 
I'll level with you. That was a pretty special guitar in that I played like four others in the same place and I didn't like them. Um, they didn't resonate right. And that one seemed to be better, right? And I've played other since and I played a couple of good ones and I played some dog shit ones. Um, so to each their own, right? Like if you, if you're all comfortable digging through a pile of guitars, fine. But I think you're, if you're going to buy a guitar online, I think one of the few companies that you can just like buy and be like, you know what? It'll be decent. It won't be perfect, but it'll be decent. A good roll of the dice is probably PRS, especially at the core level. Price creep aside, right? So we sort of have to accept, and I'm going to give you the floor here in a second, Jim. We sort of have to accept that PRS is just getting, and everybody's getting to the point where their prices are going to have to come up. I mean, now PRS's situation is a little different, right? So they're struggling to get enough guitars out the door to satisfy demand. And so I almost feel like the price hikes are like a reaction to that. Like we can't produce anymore. We know we can't grow the company. So we're obviously going to have to get a little bit more exclusive so we can satisfy demand. Um, all right, Jim, it's all yours. I, you know, having owned PRS and owned Gibsons, I have a couple, um, and I've had pretty much just about as many, uh, PRSs. Um, and I, look, I would probably have a CE if, if I, if, there are certain things, if I was a certain person looking for certain things, I would probably want a CE over up Strat. And, and that's a weird thing because the CE is not like a Strat. I mean, that single coil. Yeah, they're very di- they're very different animals. Very different animals. And you can't um, you can't put Stratocaster and, and, you know, Fender, Gibson, you know. I grew up Playing, loving, and enjoying certain songs and tones and guitars that were that way. And that was what I had and what I did. And I don't I don't look at somebody who buys and spends four thousand dollars or five thousand dollars on a PRS and go, what an idiot. I don't I don't see that at all. I see that as is applying the music the money to the music that you want to create with the instrument and the tool that you want to create it with and it is the best one i think a lot of people put looks above the thing they they were talking about that with the iphone today it's funny that you mentioned it because um they were saying yeah for some reason the iphone's always got to come out with a new color and one of the people was saying do you think people when they were talking about the 13s and 13 pros and the and the 240 mm-hmm. reds so the 13 does 120 or uh, 60 hertz. The Pro and the Pro Max do 240 or 120. And they, and they were talking about: Do you think people would care about the the size and the and the color more than and and not worry about spending extra money? They would probably spend. Here was the thing: guy goes, they'd probably spend 200 dollars on a on a special color before they'd spend 200 dollars on 120 hertz. So it goes right to what you were talking about. You tell Paul, go find me the two best matching sounding pieces of wood. Make me a guitar out of that. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. 
But the truth right? is that the truth is the aesthetics probably sell more than the than the actual feature upgrades. Think about what just happened uh, with the with the and it happens every year, by the way, with the Silver Sky. They came out with a new Silver yeah. Sky and. It's a limited edition, it's the exact and they're same all sold to collectors. Not a single player buys them. They're also the collectors who are friends of dealers, right. and and that's I, PRS builds those. And you know what? You know what ticks me off. So here's here. This is like I can be critical of a company that I own stuff from. Right here we go. Let's make a limited edition run of guitars yeah. when we can't sell. We, we can't produce enough to satisfy our dealers of regular models. Right. Let's produce, what was it, 100 what? or 200 of the... It's ridiculous. And and those are going to go into bags. Some of them won't even get... They're like... They're Most like of the, them are the just going to go... They're going to go into a box, into somebody's closet, and they're never going to get played. Never get used. No one will use them. And... They're, you know what's really funny is we talk about new old stock stuff today. Like you can, you know, occasionally you'll find like an old Dan Electro pedal in new old stock. Yeah. Like, yep. and I laugh because I'm like, you're going to have PRSs, these special editions and stuff that people bought and put up. Yep. Selling yep. new old stock in like 15 years. Because the other thing yep. is they're a limited edition, but that doesn't mean they have value. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, that's what I find kind of asinine about it. And then some of the guitars that they've done as limited edition that that probably should have been made a model line, like the Vernon Reed signature that they did, just disappeared. Like they, they did them as a limited edition. Yeah. They were only going to do it for one year. I mean, I, I guess I I don't know. That's that's actually one of the few guitars that I feel like kind of got away. Um, yep. And if I came across the right one for the right price, I believe that was an S two, um, an S two Vela, but. Um, yeah, it was. It was not because it was only like I think it was like seventeen hundred bucks. Um, I probably I'd probably snag that. So I want to talk about some of the new models I played lately that I thought were really cool. So I played um I played the SE uh, Mira, um, which is the only way you can get a Mira now. And I gotta I gotta say it's just as good as the S two was. I I played a bunch of S two Miras, um, trying to convince myself that I really wanted a Mira. And and I did want a mirror really bad, but I finally just kind of balked and said, you know what, I don't I don't need a mirror. Um, but the other one I played, which I'm gonna have a really hard time not buying. Um, so Jim's you've got you got a three thirty five hanging back there. Yep. Um, that's a semi hollow. Yep. But it's but it's not a semi hollow like PRS does. So PRS does no. the like the CE and the custom 24 semi hollows and you can get those in the S E line. And I believe also the uh, core line, obviously I don't know that they make, um, they make one in the S two line. Fine. Not a big deal. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, that's weird. The S two line doesn't have a semi hollow. The, the body. They, so I suspect they may at some point, just right now, because that's meant to be a stripped back uh, American guitar, yeah. I think they they've kind of balked on that. Yeah. All right. So I ate a lot of dinner. I have to exhale a bunch. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, this is my dinner is popcorn. <laughs> oh yeah, eating on the show again, huh? We're gonna get some hate mail for that. Uh, yeah. Not not that I care, but um, nope. 
we've had we get plenty of hate mail on this show if you're gonna if you're gonna send us hate mail on that i mean more power to you um that seems like one of the most ridiculous things to get hate mail for but um yeah i played the se hollow body today the hollow body 2 and the hollow body standard did i play i didn't actually play the standard i played the hollow body 2 and that guitar was like nobody's business I actually thought I was picking up an actual jazz box. Those things are nice. I can't believe that that's an SE. I know. And it comes with a hard shell case. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an SE. It has to. It's a a hollow body. It has to. They're not not going to ship that in a bag. Um, So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about it for a minute. So like, my impression of the guitar was like, I thought, oh, well, this is going to be like a real semi-hollow. This is going to play like a 335 and sound yep. like a 335. First off, it plays nothing like a 335. It plays nope. like a Stratocaster, okay, or, or or a PRS Custom 24, like very PRS-oriented, yep. normal, not like uh, – it, it did not strike me as being a guitar that was hollow in any way. Because nope. I play jazz boxes. I have an Ibanez Art Core um, that my it's actually my kid's guitar, and I, I played it a lot. Um, and it's I like those guitars. They're great guitars. I mean, if you want a jazz box, like that's the yep. that's the guitar line to go get because they're cheap uh, and they're yep. really well made for what they are. Um, yeah. And the, but the thing is, like those jazz boxes, they have like a nut that's cut like an acoustic, and so they are typically a little bit higher action. And they're a lot harder to play than, you know, a Telecaster or something like that. Whereas the PRS Hollow Body 2 is like, hey, you just want to play a PRS as hollow? (laughs) It's like, what? Um, And then you pick it up and you play it. You're like, holy crap. Um, Yeah. It's it's addictive. Now, I played it through the film where they had Good Time. Uh, So Good Time is a PRS dealer. If you want a PRS, reach out to them. They often have them in stock, um, even when other places don't. Um, yep. I was playing uh, the Hollow Body Two through the Fillmore, and it, I mean, just eight like the jazz blue stuff, uh, the clean, you know, clean, cleanish stuff. So I'm sitting there and I'm not playing it for twenty, like probably fifteen minutes, clean stuff. Yep. And I looked at I looked at uh, Jeff who's sitting there and I said, I bet this thing howls when you put it on distortion because it sounds like a big jazz box, you know, and. I, I, you know, it's like feedback's really bad. And he looked at, he, he looks and he laughs and he says, no, he's like, it's just like a PRS. <laughs> Flip it over and there's tons of bass, but everything else is just fine. No feedback, no whining, no, no, um, just a really big, lots of 400 Hertz territory tone. And, um, a lot of bass. I, I mean, you'd show bass. If you're going to use that as your primary guitar, you're probably going to run it through the tube screamer so you can just cut all bass. But yeah, uh, for, for, dri- for drive. Um, yeah. But wow. I was just like, this is an $1,100 guitar. Um, I know. Couldn't believe it. So I know, right? I, as much as I said, like, I don't want to buy another PRS and like, not right now. Like, I'll get a custom later. I think it's more far more likely I'm going to buy a... Uh, and NSC the, Hollow Body Two before I even look at getting um, a custom. Because it's something really I don't right have. It's, it's it's something I don't have. Like I don't have a Hollow Body. I've never even had. A desi- I, I never had a desire for one. When until I bought today. that, 
Yeah. When I bought that, I had it up against, there were three guitars in the running. And and they really were apples and oranges. Um, the 335, I had the PRS SE hollow body, and geez, I can't remember what the other one was. And, and then you're but, talking about the core, the core level hollow body, right? Not the SE? No, it was the SE. Okay. Yeah, I had the SE in there. Um, so I had SE hollow body 2, um, the 335. Oh, I can't remember what the other one was now. Save my life. But McCarty? the important thing was, huh? McCarty? No, because it was all. They were all three hollow bodies. Well, the, there's a McCarty. there's a hollow McCarty, isn't there? There is a semi hollow McCarty. Okay, it's, a, it's got one side that's routed out, and it is a beautiful guitar. Um. Anyway, I so it it then came down to the two. It there really a, came down to the SD. There is a hollow body McCarty, my friend. Oh, there is? A yeah, hollow full, full hollow. Is that core? Is that a core model? That is a core model. Yeah, and they range yeah. from 4800 to $6,100. Yeah. But man, yeah. they look amazing. <laughs> they do. So, um, I, I yeah, that was way out of my price range. <laughs> Mine um, too. So I, I was sell I, a kidney. I had the guitars up, lined up. And the truth of the matter is, now, this is coming from a guy who loves Gibson. You can play five S, uh, ES-335s, and they will not be exactly the same. Don't expect to go grab your friend's ES-335 because they sound the same. Even if they're made in the same years. They've got, a, they've got one of my guitar center right now. It's super light. A lot more um, acoustic resonance. Um, but to be honest with you, through, a, through an amp, I don't really feel it the way I feel this one. Um, so what I did was the SE and the 335 had really good, solid, low end. They both had a punch. They both had a lot going on. There was just something about the SE that the 335 had. The SE didn't have um, when it came to playing it through my rig and the way I play. And so, and I had a friend of mine too. He was like, he was like, man, I, I played a lot of three three fives. This one's got something. And so that's why I bought it. Because I've played a couple other ones and they didn't have that. And and it's unfortunate because the the thing that, that Gibson does, we talked about Fender, right? This is the thing that Gibson do, used to do. They're not doing it anymore. I really I really 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 respect that. At least in the last three years. Is Every effing year, you never get a different set of pickups in a freaking guitar. Yeah. It, and so you had to go, okay, let's see. That's a 2017. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but you know what? Where'd you buy it from? Oh, did you get it in the beginning of the year or the end of the year? But, 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 but just, just, a, just as a brief aside, the reason why that was happening was because they couldn't get a hit. And, and HJ was just literally, he was just throwing shit against the wall to see yeah. what stuck. Yeah. And so, that's what I love about now. At least you know you're going to walk in. If you get, I keep pointing to where it ain't hanging. If you get a 29, <laughs> um, if you get a 50 standard, it's going to be a solid guitar. It may weigh more than you want, um, but you can still find light ones. Mine's eight and a half pounds, almost exactly. Um, and that's with the strap. But anyway, um, it's going to be a solid guitar. It's going to have the um, uh, Burst Bucker Pros in it. That's it. You're not, yeah. you're not getting locking tuners. You're not getting anything special. It is a 50 Les Paul the way people want 50s Les Paul. 
the the 60s one is the same if you get a the sg it's the same if you, get, you know and the 335s have t-tops i have a friend of mine he's got a custom shop 335 from the um 2000s he was like if you ever sell that 335 i want it he goes, that thing. he goes did you put what'd you put in there i go nothing strings i, I put strings on it. he goes come on those are not stock pickups i go yeah they are and so that's that's really speaks to that um core of of what they've done as far as making them a better better players and better guitars um so yeah they're i con- like they're, con- they're they have brand consistency but like guitar to guitar consistency is different mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like that's yep, that's, that's where that's their weak point that's their Achilles. That is, yep, you, that's exactly right. You know, guitar to guitar consistency of neck feels, and you know the, you know, I picked up my. The weird thing was the good and the bad of it was when I picked up my custom. I was like, wow, this neck is really, <laughs> and and I had to get used to playing it. You know, because it felt a little thinner. Um, and it might be, it might be a '60s knack, and it might just be something that I gotta get used to. But, um, yeah, it. But as you said, they're guitar to guitar. There's the inconsistencies, and that is something that that that's why I recommend playing them. Um, PRS is going to have inconsistencies. Don't get me wrong; they're very good a- inconsistencies. Absolutely, but 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 it's like we were talking about it at the store today, and it's just my general sensation is like. They are consistent in that they're all good, but they're not consistently great. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're still looking for one that's better than the rest. But even if you buy the rest, they're going to be pretty damn good to begin with. Whereas I feel like there's more there's more turds floating in the pond from Fender and Gibson and, you know, the other brands than, than when you go to a PRS dealer and you grab three PRSs off the wall. They're all going to be good. Maybe one of them won't be as nice looking. Maybe one of them won't be as resonant. You know, maybe one of them um, needs, uh, you know, it ha- has a, a finished flaw or something because it's an S2. Like, that's that that's the, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not, it's not deal breaking stuff. Like, where I've played, um, I've played both uh, Les Pauls and, and, and I'm not talking about Epiphones. I'm talking about Gibsons. Les Pauls and SGs in the past, not current, because hell, you can't even go play current stuff right now, um, where you're kind of like, how did this one pass quality control? You know, and it's not just the factory setup. Like, there's literally something wonky about the guitar where I've seen, like, a finish crack coming out from where the where the um, post and the bridge is mounted or tooling marks in the neck, which is something we've talked over and over about. Like, that's a huge problem that they have right now. They need to clean up because it's it's going to leave a dirty stain on the company. Um, and place I, the other thing I've seen a lot of, and it's just a fit and finish issue. So it's like not it's really minor, but it's like the leftover wax. And I'm not talking about you. Know, you had that on your 335 in the the pocket there where the neck meets the body. Yeah, the buffing compound. I've seen it coming out from under the pickups and stuff. And it's like sitting on the guitar. It's like like a white splotch where somebody put white out on it or something, and you're going what the hell, you know, um, did anybody wipe this thing down before it left the factory? Um, <laughs> so yeah. 
I've seen that. I, I, you know, it's amazing to me. <laughs> I think the, because I think the reason for that one though is like if the, if the guitar gets hot in transport, then the wax is going to melt. You know, yep. it's already stuck up underneath there, but and it's gonna yeah, it's gonna go to a place where it can sit. Um, so that's that's normal. It, so when I got, of course, it was an SE, but when I got my SE, it had a. Um, get a spot on it and um you know sweetwater told me i said when you get it just wipe it off if it doesn't come off we'll take some more money off of it but it came right off it just i just wiped it um but the the 335 that's a little bit harder because remember gibson's buffing compound is meant to do what remove finish so when you're taking that shit off you want to just sit there and Ah, I'm just going to go, whoops, there goes my nitro. You know, and I got a big, big fingerprint. <laughs> you can't use alcohol on it. Nope. You can't use isotope. You know, I, I was it, uh, the, the, what they call it, the um, stuff, the finger you know, polish remover, for what they call right. it. Oh, acet- acetone. Anything with acetone in it will just acetone. eat right through the guitar. I mean. So, yeah, I was very, very careful with a lint-free rag. Just and And I'll be honest with you. I would rather live with a little bit. There's just a little bit in the nook and cranny between. It's care. a mi- that's Not a minor. Out. It's as I said, that's a fit and finish issue. But like, when you see things like a crack coming out from under where the you know where they they drilled the bridge insert in, how did it make it out of quality control? Yeah. Now a lot of those, I got to be honest with you. So when they wind up in Guitar Center or they wind up at Sweetwater, that's one thing. But when they put them on the demo shop, which sometimes they do, and a lot of them they do, be surprised. If you're okay with that kind of thing, if you're okay with those little things, you can save several hundred dollars going to the demo shop. Yep. And so you can look up Gibson Demo Shop at Reverb. You can also go to the Gibson Demo Shop on their website um, and look. And there's a there's a white um, Alpine Custom Les Paul. It just had a few more dings and dents that I wanted to put up with. It's $1,000 off a lot of money yeah and so yeah, and, and and like the, so the crack issue inject some glue in there done problem solved yeah. it's not yeah. it's not a, not a deal breaker a deal and a lot of times if you point these things out to the to the places they can contact gibson and this is the thing that a lot of them won't do i think sweetwater more than wood more than guitar center the sweetwater would just say you know what fine and, and what they do is they just contact gibson they go Hey, look, here's this from a customer. And because Gibson does this. But the, the and I'm not saying they should. The sh- the guitar shouldn't have got out of the wild in the first place. That should have been a QA issue before. I don't think Guitar Center is as, as willing to contact them and go, hey, customer saw this. Do you want us to take the guitar back? You give us a new one. Or do you want us to take a couple hundred bucks off? Because Gibson would likely throw that off because they they know they don't want to take it back i historically have seen more scratch and dent deals from from guitar center direct than i do sweetwater which yeah. leads me to believe because you know they're selling similar amounts of guitars it, it leads me to believe that they're doing a little bit more of the quality control uh, yep. we got this b stock dent over here we're gonna yep sell that direct and yep anyway so all right uh, we've covered that topic. The price creep is real. You're going to see it on other brands. It we've is. already seen it on Gibson. 
It's it's in Fender. I mean, those player plot. That's one way you destroy the deluxe series. You put it on our series in. You bring the price up by one hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars. All right, mm-hmm. let's do our gig report. Um, so <laughs> I did Open Jam. I think I talked a little bit about that this week, and it was good. Um, I got. I, I do have one sh- funny story to share from that, which I I think these these are, are good moments of levity for the show. Um. So I was talking to the the host, and we kind of know each other at this point, and I'm kind of going back and forth, and he says, um, he's asking me about the band I played in, and I told him, I said, man, I've had to play some songs I swore I'd never play, and one of the ones that came up, of course, is Margaritaville. I hate that song. Um, I played that twice this week. So, Go ahead. So he sprang it upon me. Uh, there's a guy that sings there every week, and it's usually just him and the piano, but he wanted to do Margaritaville. And he said, well, let's get the band up here for that. That's an easy tune. He calls me up and I'm like, oh, God, I really don't want to play this song, Sam. And he looks at me and he's, he's like, you know it, though. And I'm like, <sighs> so I go over and I start setting my gear up. I've got my little pedal board. I got my amp and I hook him up. And at this point, the drummer's already starting to kind of kick a little bit. And I'm like, my like, guys, I need like another minute and a half here. So I don't even get like I get everything plugged in. I don't even get to tune up. Okay. And I'd already tuned in my seat, but I always check when I get on stage and yep, because uh, you're banging your stuff around, getting up on stage and all that. And um, yeah. I uh, I get up on stage and I go to like hit the first chord. Of course, what do you think is going to happen, Jim? Because the band starts playing and Sam does the little lead in, you know, and the bass player doesn't know the song. So he doesn't really actually know what's going on. Um, and, 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 and I can't hear him too, which is even worse. Like he's not coming through the monitor at all. So all I have to work with are the vocal guys, a decent singer. And I got Sam's keyboard, which is like lightly coming through my monitor. And I go, I, I've got the chords up on my phone because I'm like, I need to all look at, I need, I need to look at the chorus. Now there's more than three chords in that song. Because there's D's and D7s, well, and the, yeah. there's a AC, uh, AC sharp of the bass. Uh, yeah. Um, so there are, I mean, like, if you play it the right way, there you can play it very simplified. But um, I don't just strum it, so I know what you're talking about. Because I'm typically playing the... Yeah. So, yeah, I know what you mean. So I'm, like, I'm like looking at the, uh, I'm looking at the chords, and, like, my phone is not big enough to show me the whole lead sheet. So I'm just kind of like guessing in places. Yep. And I know that when I started, I started on A instead of D. So that was my first mistake. That was my first mistake. Because I was sitting at the chair and I was thinking about, I'm like, he told me I'm playing this. I'm like, it's A, D, A, D, or it's A, D, and then it's G, A, D, you know, which that's correct, right? And then D7, yep. and then G, A, D, D7. And then G A D A seven or A A with a C sharp in the bass G, and I'm by that point I'm playing a bunch of uh, dyads. So right, right. So it's like I'm I'm like I'm just gonna I'm gonna hit the chords because I because I know like the chords, and I can play some chord tones. I can play some Maza, but I got I was so I'm already like off my rocker at this point because I'm sitting there and I'm thinking. They've already started. I'm in the middle. I'm not sure where we're at in terms of the vocal, but I know that the chords. See, this this chord sounds right. 
So I'm like, play the A, and I'm like, this is wrong. Play the D. Because I know there's only two chords for the verse, right? So like, I know, <laughs> play the D, get to the get to the big part. I'm like, and I'm and I'm kind of flustered at this point. I'm like, what the hell is the chord that the, the chorus starts on? Shit, E, no, G, moron. And then I'm like, I'm like, uh, G, D, no, A, and then D, and it just gets this like discombobulated mess. So then I'm like turning around, I'm looking at my um, I'm looking at my chart on my phone. I totally blow the A, C sharp and the bass, right? And like, I have this level of detail because this was traumatic for me. And then Sam looks at me after the first chorus and he go, he has this look on his face like, I thought you said you knew this. And then, he's, and then he points at me to solo and I start soloing in, in A. Oh no. I start, oh, it sounds awful. A, A major pentatonic. It sounds awful. So then I'm like, well shit, what do I do now? So I defaulted to like, this note sounds okay. Like let's work on this instead of what I should have done, which is like, well, there's only two chords. So in the, in the, in the verse, so like it's gotta be D, right? So then I got, I, I, I'm, I'm trying my other approach and it's just sounding off. Like I'm playing like the wrong freaking notes and I'm starting to have a panic attack over it. Cause I'm like, what in the hell am I doing? Um, and everybody in the room who's seen me before knows this dude knows how to play. What the hell is going on here? And I'm just laughing at this point, like visibly like kind of cracking up. And I and I'm like, all right, we'll switch to D. So. I don't know what I did then because I wasn't playing in D. I switched to D, but I think I went to C instead. Like I hit the wrong fret. And I'm like doing a minor pentatonic in the right, you know, trying to do it in the right position kind of thing for a major. The regular, you know, minor pentatonic box shifted down four frets. And I'm just like, I just said, fuck it. I mean, like, honestly got that far. And then Sam looked at me and I was like, I'm done. I just did that. <laughs> he goes back to play the piano part, you know? And uh, we finished out the song and then like listening to the bass player and the drummer, the drummer's way too light. It's like John Bonham on this song, right? And Sam keeps turning around. He's like, dude, you got to volume down the drums. Like this is a very, very live active room, quiet. And the bass player's just, he got this look like deer in the headlights. He has no idea how to play this song. And I think the bass player was actually screwing me up because I'm listening to the harmony. And then when I focused in on the piano, I could tell what chords are being played and kind of follow along. The second chorus I did okay on. And then it was like very rocky after that, but it was because not everything was working properly from the other side of things. And I was playing by ear because my charts weren't, I couldn't even see them. They weren't big enough. They're tiny phones sitting on my amp, you know, um, six feet away. I finally just said, no, the hell with this. Like, we'll just play along and get over. So finish the song out. And I'm like, well, this is, you know, start of another shitty open mic. Or open jam because I've been like I've been going to these and I've been getting really frustrated with myself because I haven't been playing well and um, I was talking to some people this week and I they were kind of like why are you taking this shit so seriously like it's just a and I and I use this phrase because I I actually said it, it was like it's just a hang with like other musicians where you play music like you shouldn't even think about it as being like I have to perform and I have to be firing on all eight cylinders. I am always conscious that I'm like looking for the next band situation to be in. 
but I tend to forget, like, when you go through one of those situations that it's more about how you handle it. And the fact that I was just sitting there laughing about it, like, wow, like, what the hell happened there? And then we turned around and we played, um, we called up the next band. I guess I, of course, stayed up. And then we played Breakdown. And the guy, I was like, I was kind of testing him because I was like, well, the chords on this. He goes, A and G. And I said, what's the, what's the, what's the bridge? There's a turnaround. What's the bridge? And he goes, it's, he plays the C dyad, you know, the, the top two notes from C and then he moves it up, you know, the three frets or whatever. And I'm like, fair enough. I knew that part already. Right. So I actually knew the song. And then he says, um, I was like, isn't there another chord in there? And he goes, I don't think so. He's like, it's just A, G, A, G. And then there's like a, he's like, there's a stop. And I'm like, okay. So we start playing, right? And like, he starts out and he does the little lead line thing in the beginning. And then he doesn't do a great job of it. And then um, I, I made sure I stuck it in my solo. Um, <laughs> so he. Um, I would. She, singer comes up. She's she's fantastic as always. I've played with her several times there. And actually, she usually gets paired with the same guy. Um, and we played Breakdown the last time and they didn't know it. And I was like, well, I guess we'll just go through this rocket ship again. And they're getting better. Like, they're getting more in tune. We had a better drummer this time. Of course, Sam was still turning around like, take it down, take it down. Like, he's too loud. Um, anyway, we start playing and um, he gets through the, gets through the, the uh, gets through the, the, his part or whatever. And it's like, it's okay. And I hit the F during that, during that, the breakdown part, you know? And, uh, he kind of looks at me like, why were you asking about the chords? <laughs> He's like, I didn't know that chord was in there. <laughs> and I'm just laughing. Cause I'm like, well, Sam's playing. I, I, I reached, I leaned over and I go, well, Sam's playing enough. So I'm playing enough. You know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he, he's like, got this weird look on his face like how did you know that and he's like i didn't even know that so then then he gets asked to do a solo he does his little like newly newly thing um and of course then i get he he actually nods to me and i just take off into orbit you know and um i'm playing probably the tastiest guitar i've played in years that night like everything i did just seemed to like be in the right zone of fitting the song. Right. And I think it was because I wasn't consciously trying to impress anybody, not even myself. I was just trying to have a good time. Like I was like, all right, fine, let's do this. Um, and we played a couple of blues tunes and we play one of them is that Tracy Chapman tune. I forget what the name of it is, but, uh, where the, oh, yeah. it's, it's the five and the four inverted. Yep. Um, and, and then, uh, another guy gets up, this is where we're leading with this whole conversation, by the way. This this is my favorite one. So I'm going to ask you a question, Jim. I have a feeling you'll know the answer. If you're going to play all along the Watchtower, mm-hmm. what key would you put that song in? There are two. Depends. There are two possible answers to this. Yeah, it depends. I mean, it. Um, so what chords are you using to play the song? I okay. mean, is the original? So, yeah. So so if we, I assume somebody says Watchtower, the definitive version mm-hmm. is the Jimi Hendrix version. So I assume 
we're going to do the Hendrix version, right? right? But I always ask because I'm not an idiot. Because that's right. I'm like. Because I've had people play it in different keys. I'll play are, it. What are we going to play? Are we playing the Hendrix version? Or are we playing the. Um, and I guess there's other versions other the than Dylan the Hendrix version. Or, two, or and, the Dylan yep. version, which are the popular ones. Yep. Now, Guy says, I won't say his name. He's, he's a good dude. I hope he's, I hope he's listening to the podcast because I, I told him about it. Um, but he says to me, um, he says, we're going to play it in G. No. Okay. What did he say? Oh. He said, yeah, no, he did. He said G. Okay. And then he started playing it and I go, I thought you said no, you were playing not... in G. I thought you said you were playing it in G. Yeah. He goes, it's in G. And I said, what's the first chord? Cause I, cause I knew like, I, I figured this out. I'm like, what's the first chord? Mm-hmm. And he goes, um, Hey, yeah. And I was like, all right, let's go. And then he's like, he's starting to wonder if I can play it. Right. Which he's played with me before. It's like, come on, dude, for real. And he looks at me, he goes, um, he goes, you want to play black magic woman instead? And I'm okay. like, I'm like, no, I want to play Watchtower. <laughs> like, like, no, yeah, you, yeah. you done, you done piqued my interest, my friend. We're playing Watchtower. I don't care what key you put it in. You yep. tell me which three chords you're doing. <laughs> you know, like we're we're good. We got this. Um, so he's like, he's like, uh, it's an A, and then I just strum the chords real fast. So I'm like, so like this, right? And he's like, okay. So then we start going, and I don't think he knew what was going to happen? Cause I just went off. Like that's a song I do. You know, I sing that song and everything else. Right. So not realizing, I think the mic in front of me was hot. I'm just standing back there, just belting it out, you know, as I'm playing, like, and then I think it was actually going up the mains. <laughs> and of course he's the singer, you know, singer, guitar player. So, um, right. He's like, he looks to me for the first solo and I'm like, dude, I don't, you don't even have to signal me. Like, I know what the hell is going on here. <laughs> like, come on, dude. Um, and, you know, taking way longer solos than I probably should be and uh, and nobody complaining about it either. Um, and I'm just like, I was like, yeah, that's the that's the win I needed. I didn't need Sam to call me up and play Margaritaville. I needed somebody to call me up and play Watchtower and whatever damn key he wants to play it. And I don't care. I mean, um, it's for if you don't know the chords for that song are like the easiest chords ever. Um, I, <laughs> it's like, it's like the most common chord progression for any like big rock song. Um, but in, I, I just find it, <laughs> I find it interesting. He said it was a G. I mean, so he brought it down a full step. Well, well, not a half step, I guess. The original okay, key so is oh, yeah, in, the, in the Dylan version, because the Dylan version is actually in G. Right. So he was playing it. But he played it in A. It's the first key's in A. Yeah. I was going to say. So A, G, F, G, A. You know, like. Exactly. And then he's like. Uh, I asked somebody. We were talking about this. What what key is in. I'm used to people play, playing it in C. It's C in C. C minor. Right. Correct. And, but I'm laughing because I had a conversation with somebody. The C. I don't remember who it was. Um, and they said. um it's a C sharp, isn't it? No, well, it's in C. Yeah, and and I'm he sorry. actually, I think he played it in flat tuning on the right. record, but you can approximate it 
on a standard tune guitar because there's not really any open strings in there that like right. are critical right. to make the song work. Because you're playing everything up in the upper frets. Right, right. Uh, I don't. There probably is open notes in there somewhere, but like, I don't know. I don't know if he played that in a, in a down tune, like a half step down. I mean, there's no reason to, but I guess to make it so the A is open. Well, that first bend would would be in a weird fret to be on the thirteenth. Yeah, that's you know. Weird. So that's why yeah. I was always like, I figured he probably played that on the twelfth. Yep. You know, and which leaves it in standard tuning. Right. So yeah. well, on th- it would be thirteen on standard tuning and twelve on on flat 12 tuning. On flat tuning, yeah. So not that not that it's like very different, but it just seems like you know people tend to gravitate when they play guitar. They tend to gravitate towards the fret markers. That's Do you right. know what I mean? Like that's so I, I I'll play it in C sharp minor. You'll play in C sharp minor all day long, no problem. Um, I'll sing it in C sharp minor. Oh shit! Um, yeah. It's not a hard song song to sing even so. No. Um, it's what a great tune, and of course they did all the yeah. the spacey like. Um, uh, What's funny is after um, he covered all along the Watchtower. Uh, Neil Young did it Dylan too. Dylan heard it, yeah, and and Dylan heard Hendrix's version. Dylan started playing it, Hendrix feel, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. I think is, I think it's both cool and funny. Yes. Same time. Yes. Um, and they both sort of sang it the same way. Same rhythm, anyway, of how they sang it. Yeah. Um, so that's half my gig report. So that all happened. I've got another gig coming up. Uh, I was informed that I will be playing at a campground gig like you did, Jim. Big festival. Um, nice. with this will be cooler. With the old Stumpy guys, and uh, at least some of the old Stumpy guys. So I'll be making a trick down to southern illinois well central illinois uh around october 1st i don't actually know when the date of the show is i probably should have that so i can actually make an announcement but uh we're going to be playing at um a big festival down there i don't even know the name of the festival damn uh i just found out about it so um that's part of the reason why and um i don't even know if i'm playing acoustic so I bust out my acoustic this afternoon. I was playing my acoustic because I'm like, eh, I better get ready. If I got to get my chops up, like I need to be ready for this. Uh, and mm-hmm. I know how grueling that could be, especially if you end up playing like a two hour set or something. Oh, um, yeah. Well, it, I just got my acoustic back. It got fixed by um, finally Gibson sent out the part guitar center, put it in and yay, it's fixed. What was so wrong I with the, uh, was a pi- piezo part or something? Yeah. The piezo completely. Yeah. They okay. replaced the whole thing. Put on a whole new one. Which, yeah. And because this one was a 2018, they gave me the 2021 Paizo. So I got the nicer Fishman or LR Bags Paizo. I mean, I had an LR Bags before, but this is the nicer one. Yeah, right. So he was surprised. He goes, wow, they sent me the real nice one to put in there. Uh, the guy at the tire center. So that was real nice. Um, so um, I had a gig. I had a couple gigs since the last time. I've had a few gigs actually since. The last actually, time. I had one more thing to share if you don't mind. Sure. So I've been doing sound for. Um, I might have mentioned I did sound for Bronson Rock in the last episode. Uh, they played at um, uh, Obscurity Brewing in Elburn, Illinois, and uh, they asked me to come out. And um, it was I didn't even really like. I wasn't expecting to get paid or anything, and I got paid in food, which is great. 
Uh, their food was awesome. And they just treated me like a member of the band while I was there. So I, um, I put together, basically just did, you know, with their little bitty mixer, did the best I could. Um, sounded really good. It was <laughs> louder than they were expecting. Um, but if they're not going to yell at me, I'm going to crank it. Because uh, that's the way that rock music is supposed to be listened to. And quite frankly, um, when you're competing with drums, you got to get the volumes up. Um, and so it sounded really good. And then uh, I got asked back. So actually, um, I went out uh, last night and did another show for them. Um, and I got graciously paid for it. Um, it was an interesting venue. It was uh, like basically a fenced in like wooden fence picket fenced in area behind a club uh, a supper club which may be a midwestern only concept for those of you that don't know it's just basically a restaurant um and it's like an exclusive restaurant and it was uh just an interesting show altogether because we had like some challenges with how the equipment was set up and um it was a nice stage there but interesting patrons you know when you so for those of us who are listening to the show if you don't gig um you probably have never even thought about this being a challenge but when you are in a band and you set up all your gear and you play a show you think you're just gonna tear stuff down and be done right and throw it in the back of your trunk take your check and go home so this is this is what happened to us and I'm not going to divulge names. I'm not going to go down that path. But there was a gentleman there that had had too much to drink. And um, he was definitely challenging to us. Uh, we were going to, we were starting to tear down. And me and uh, Mike Bear, the guitar player for, for Broadway Rock, started to um, it, basically, we were ripping things apart. And the other guys were talking to people, friends and stuff that were there. And everybody, you know, it's just like a cool, chill atmosphere when, when your band's breaking down. Anyway, this guy's standing on cables at the front of the stage and like having a conversation. And I'm like, dude, I really need to get to those cables. Like, I don't want to be here until like one o'clock in the morning. So behind him on a, on a camera tripod is the recorder that they use to capture their, their audio so that they can listen back to the show. I pull a cable he's standing on. He lifts his foot, loses his balance, backs up, hits the tripod. I dive six feet, maybe eight feet, two steps, two full steps and dive and grab this thing before it hits the ground. Okay. That's how good my reflexes are at one o'clock in the morning <laughs> or, or I think it was midnight, like 1215 uh, on a Saturday night. Because I do not drink when I work. And I considered that work. I was being paid and I was, I'd already received some of the money at that point. And I was like, right. we're not going to screw around with this. So I, I was explaining this story to someone else today and they asked me the question. They said, why do you put up with that? And I, you know, like somebody that acts that way or behaves that way. And I said, number one, the guy's drunk. I said, what am I going to do? Am I going to fight him? I was like... Because it, that's the reality of this. Like, if, I, if I'm if i a jerk to him, I say, dude, you need to get off the cables. Like, the guy's going to get belligerent, okay? He's drunk. Um, if I wait for him, 
you know, I could be there all night. So it's like, what other choice do you have? Now, Jim, you've dealt with people like this. I know you have. This is the reality of the gigging musician. Um, so actually, I uh, already heard, sort of have a way to deal with this next time. If I'm there to set up, I will bundle the cables with a little bit of gaffer tape and make sure they are attached to the stage and not on the ground where somebody can stand on them. Um, and I will probably be picking up extra XLR lengths to make sure that we have enough cable to actually have slack in certain places so that nobody is prone to tripping or anything like that. Um, and I am not infallible. Like even, even though I was there, you know, I, I did this crazy maneuver to save the thing. I will admit I made two massive mistakes in running sound that night. I left the mains down after they started to perform uh, the second set, which I am told is like the most common sound guy mistake ever. Um, and, and for most people, it only happens once. Uh, I will explain how this happened. And I want, I'm using this as a word of caution for anybody listening. Obviously, this is a long episode, Jim. I'm going to give you plenty of time here in just a second. Um, this happened. I had earplugs in because I'm sitting literally right next to the mains. Um, I had my plugs in and I actually was sitting there. I just, I was just kind of chilling cause I had the set list and I knew what songs were next. And I'm kind of like, this isn't going to be a big deal. Like everything's set pretty much the way it should be for the next song. And they had just played another song off of the wedges and I didn't realize it because the guitar was clean. It wasn't boosted. The first thing that happened, they started to play all along the watchtower, their version of it. And the first thing that happened was he goes to start playing the chords and the guitar is way louder than the vocal. I'm going, oh, what the hell? And like, it didn't dawn on me at first. I was sitting in the chair and I was kind of relaxing because I'm like, this is an easy song. Just kind of, and I'm I'm really tired. It's late at night. Um, I will bring coffee next time. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh man, like what in the hell? And then I da- it dawns on me, I'm like, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Like, the vocal's quiet. So I go over to the board and I, and I adjust the vocal mic. And then I, I'm like, I'm not hearing any change. Like, what the hell? And then I look down and I'm like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> the mains is all the way down. I'm like, turn it up. And everybody in the venue starts clapping. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> and I just smile because I'm like, I don't want anybody to know how embarrassing this really is. <laughs> this is like really bad stuff. Um, but after they got done, I was like, I'm sorry about that guys. And, um, bass player, Matt comes up to me and he says, he says, don't feel bad. He's like, I did that at the show one time for the entire second set. He's like, we didn't realize it until we went to listen to the board tapes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You go, what the, (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, I know I've had stuff like that happen to me when I was younger. But like, I, you know, you got you guys brought in a guy to take care of this for you. And I just totally screwed that up. I felt so bad. Um, and so my apologies to Bronson Rock for that one. And then I, I think earlier in the show, I had left somebody's microphone muted. Um, it, not realizing it swung it around and he started to sing. But then oh. the, but the funny part is I brought it up and somebody in the band goes, now nah, I probably just t- forgot to turn the switch on. And I'm going, wait a minute. You mean I don't have to mute that thing? 
like he's got a switch on the mic so he can turn it off and swing it back around because he's a drummer, right? So he can turn it off and swing it back behind him. Yeah. And it never occurred to me that that was the thing. Like that he had, because you don't buy mics with switches. Um, no, I, I, that's like the sound guy thing. A lot of people, a lot of sound guys don't want people to buy mics with switches. Um, right. So it is what it is. I made a mistake. I made a pair of mistakes and they were really funny. Jim, take it away. So I had, um, I'm going to be real quick. I had a couple of gigs. Um, I guess a gig isn't good if somebody doesn't bust into a bar fight. So uh, <laughs> we had three bar fights during one of them. A um, couple of the, the chest guys, chest, ah, I'll take you on. <laughs> Literally right out of a South Park comic. Um, it, it reminded me of the uh, the the bro down if you look look up south park for the bro down um uh, where uh randy takes on um as long as they keep it in the audience it, yeah keep it like eight it, feet from the band and it's fine <laughs> and i'm trying to remember the song oh it was friends in low we were actually playing friends in low places when i came on so it was very very uh good very funny uh, but yeah we had a bro down then um another one kind of got hairy and another one, somebody got their lights punched out. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, then uh, the next gig we did was at a 55 and older place. And I want to say something about this because a lot of people are going to be negative. They're going to go, oh, 55 and older. Those people were rocking out. They were enjoying the heck out of it. And Who we cares? Played it's a paying gig. Try it was a paying gig. We did our thing. <clears throat> they enjoyed the heck out of it. It was really fun. Well worth the well worth the time and the effort. But it poured rain right up to the minute right before we started. And it was outdoors, but not really. It was underneath a thing. So imagine a hotel with like a big, you know, those grandiose um, openings in the center. Only the, that was completely open. I had we the exact all. same thing happen at that first Bronson Rock show I did. It yeah, poured so. rain for like 30, like like two minutes, three minutes, right? Just Good. enough that everybody had to throw towels over things. And like, yep. I literally stood over the board like this to keep water from going on it. We got through. We got through. Luckily, it was more about trying to get the equipment to the location because we had to go from the parking lot through a breezeway into the opening to where we were underneath. But it was fun. Um, it was hot. Oh, my God. It was hot. It was so hot. Um, but uh, I brought my Strat. That's why the Strat's in the case. Brought my Stratocaster for that one. Because I was told, well, we're going to have to watch our volume. As you can tell by my voice, we did not watch our volume <laughs> at all. <laughs> they loved us. We were loud. And we were screaming. And we were having a blast. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I think... Um, um, I'm really enjoying doing what I'm doing uh, with the guys. We do a song called Stars by uh, Grace Potter and the Nocturnals. It's not a real rocker, but what's interesting is how um, even when they do it, whether they do it live or they do it in the studio, the solo is relatively the same. I mean, it's not exact every time, but it's really the same. But what I found was amazing. So song is in A minor. This is one of those songs, like you said, What's the key? I thought you were going to give me this kind of thing. Song is in A minor, but you play C major over A minor. 
and it resolves every time the chord change goes it resolves to c so it begins in a minor but resolves to c and then it has um to add insult to injury it has a um a point where you're um actually going um, from C through G to, so it's actually kind of one of those songs that doesn't really push you into either key. And then, like I said, the the solo, you start you start in A minor pentatonic. You have like a, a little that that bluesy, you know, you know that that thing you do, everybody does at the beginning of an A minor solo. You know, when you're up at the fifth fret, you bend the seventh fret yeah. of the G string up to the ninth. I'm fret never doing that again. By the way, you just brought that up, and then if everyone does it, I can't do it. Yeah, and it's it's done all the time, right? And then you land on that tenth, uh, or at least the tone of the tenth fret of the B string. So you're landing on an A. At least you're either gonna, um, you know, bend up, or you're gonna slide into it. But either way, you're gonna end on an A. So, but then there's this whole long thing where you go. C major, and you literally go, it, it's kind of cool because you go, do, re, mi, then you go, mi, re, fa, and then you go, so long, and you keep going up, but you go back to the, and what's funny is you go back to the second tone, so you play three tones, go back to the second tone, play three, but then, because they knew they were going to run out of space, and I thought this was really well done, really well crafted. Then it um, then it jumps. It stays on the third tone. You jump. What you do is you go do re mi. You bend into fa. Then you go re mi fa so. And then you go so la di do. And it, but then it goes do re mi fa so la do di do. <laughs> it just keeps walking up till you hit the highest C. And if you have a, an acoustic, you know what you find out. You don't have that note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or you have to like get over the your hand is like literally over the top of the top and you're doing yeah. this thing. You're doing this. Which I and have so, done that many a time. Yeah. I'm just doing that but today, it, actually. Yeah. And so it ends on what the eighteenth fret of the I was um, I was playing the Hendrix version of Watchtower on my acoustic. And <laughs> so you know, that last note's like the twenty first fret or whatever, and it's just like <laughs> And I found that interesting um and and cool kind of cool because of the way that they 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 must have planned that out because it's it's actually and here's a funny thing it's actually um if you have two guitar players that know how to play it it's a harmonized solo and well, they I, stay in thirds i was gonna say I, that sort of sounds to me like the you know the picture of the stairways that come from all directions that yep. sort of sounds like the musical equivalent of that Right, right, yeah. That that uh, who who was the painter that did that? I don't remember. It's but it's it, but it's a famous like yeah. You can, you can go look it up. It, I'm sure you write it. Kind of like what Hogwarts. It. Yeah, it's kind of like what Hogwarts I think is trying to do. Yeah, right, right, right. When they have the stairways that come together. There's some shit from Inception, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's in Sheepshin. Yeah. So yeah, I had a lot of fun. Um, you know, uh, Al got out there. Uh, actually, somebody said, you know what? You should call it Raymond. I said, why is that? He said, because you're only going to be able to eat Raymond noodles. For <laughs> so I think its name is now Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, Wait, so. Al and Raymond, uh, he's referring Al to Raymond. is this is Alpine this... White. 
uh, yeah, Les Paul custom folks. And I could only fit, I could only afford Raymond noodles. So listen, so, listen, yeah. listen, listen. So we know that the other ones are like Goldie and Pearl or whatever. Yep. And everybody and, right. I, and people have commented, they're like the women's names. No, no, it's not. just color convenient. Names. It's convenient. They're related to the color of the guitar, right? It's so like if you get a gold guitar, what do you call it? I say, yeah, set, hand me. Do I have to say, hand me the cherry Les Paul or I mean the hand me the, the red cherry one. <laughs> red ES three three five? I just say, hand me cherry, hand me Goldie, hand me. Uh, you know. Well, I mean, and, I would have called the I would have called the cherry one red myself because yeah. That's a name, yeah. but but still, people use red as a nickname for a woman that has red hair. So, right, somebody would have somebody would have read something into it. No right, right, right. So, um, but but this is proof. And, and, this is proof that that's not what's going colors. on. Yeah, this is proof that's yeah. not what's going they're all on. Named here. after their colors, um, and and to be honest with you, the one that's that's amber colored. My daughter's name is Amber. So I so said shut to her, up. I said, <laughs> yeah. I said, what, what should I call it? And she said, name it Vanessa. So that's why it's named Vanessa. But that's also my sister's name. So there you go. Um, Did you so ask her yet? <laughs> it, yeah. Well, it, it, she's 16 years younger than me. She hasn't. She doesn't, uh, she, she doesn't talk yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, she talks, but she, I mean, when I, I left home when she was two. I mean, so, but the point is, no, they're not named after. These are not human names. You know, they're not. I mean, other than I guess Vanessa, but it's because I let my daughter name one guitar. Hey, um, it could have been Fiore. Yeah, I mean Fiore, right? And and Fiore is a name for a rose, but it's also a woman's name in Italy. So, what are you gonna do? I mean, you can't you can't ever win. Somebody's gonna name somebody after something. Yeah, there's um, nothing you can do about it. And you know what? There's only you know a certain amount of genders. So, <laughs> exactly. And so I think that in. Um, like I said, I name everything after I, I try to color coordinate everything, too. And so that's why the other side of things is that the Alpine white Les Paul. So Al has a white strap with gold hardware. So I had to buy. I, I didn't dare take it out until I had everything matching. So I bought the white leather strap with gold um, uh, strap locks. Oh, that, that my final note for my gear my uh thing so i've never had this happen until this weekend so i'm playing that um uh centerbrook where the 55 and older community i and my strap lock fails dunlop playing my gold that's pearl my golden pearl les paul that's why its name is pearl Okay, because I had a gold top before. So anyway, I'm playing Pearl. The darn strap lock at the head, this end, gives out on me. Luckily, I was holding it. A lot of times, I'll put my I'll put my arms like this. I trust my strap locks. I am getting a hold of Shaller this week. I'll let you guys know how that goes. So I'm going to write out tell him because that's a brand new set. How did they? How did they fail? The 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 little plunger isn't holding it. It's just falling right out. Mm. The plunger isn't working. Sounds like the spring. So either, sounds like that spring broke inside. Yeah, uh, and I keep I kept pulling it back and forth. I even put lube in it to see if maybe it was sticking because I put it on and then I you know. I had a grip on a guitar, but I'd pull at it, see if it was coming off. Nope. You know, you know. Did I be playing? It just pop off. You know what's funny, Jim? 
Yeah. I don't use strap locks anymore. I have I... a giant bag of strap locks I'm going to sell on Reverb. Um, really? I ripped them all off my guitars. I went back to the standard strap pins. And uh, reason being is like, about I don't it. get that freaky on stage with my guitars anyway. Um, and, and I can always, if, if it's like a long I gig, I can use the, I can use the washer. Well, well, I mean, I hold them up and stuff, but they don't leave my, they don't leave my, this hand. So even if they come off, they're not going to hit the floor. And those w- would be my long gig. This is what I'm doing. Um, thing. The PRS doesn't need them because it's, I mean, the damn things are like a quarter. Oh, they make, yeah, they make them huge. <laughs> They're hard to get they the strap on. <laughs> it's hard to get the strap PRS on. PRS does them. really make it. You know, those are little things that they think about. That they go, you know what, we're going to have gigging musicians that are going to want to do this. Let's make a big strap button. My GNLs are like, they're like standard stra- Fender strap buttons. They're not great. That's the one that I would put the washers on before I play kind of deal. But it's yeah. like, I don't, I, you know, and the other thing is like, I don't like the washer thing because you have to leave the strap on in the, in the case if you do it that way. I don't do that. So I generally around the house don't use a washer. I've never no. had a guitar fall off my body other than with Dunlops. I did have that happen one time. Um, and I think it was user error because I couldn't get, I couldn't get us to do it again. Um, but I, I have a bag full of Dunlop and, shaler strap locks that i'm probably just yeah. gonna let go um because i don't wow it just it, it doesn't make sense like it's a it's an expensive upgrade number one it's 20 bucks for every guitar you buy um, more now yeah and they're closing in on 40 for the shallers i think oh, I, I, use I, I yeah 30. i'm using shalers yeah i'm using the shalers um and they were getting price hiked pretty bad mm-hmm. but it's just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me and it, it's like at least on gigs um, I see more and more people just using the rubber washer because it's like, look, nobody wants to keep the strap on the thing in the case. And then if you're using shalers, like the cost is expensive and they can yep. fail. And yep. like you're putting a lot of security, at least at the. So if the shaler is installed right, the guitar shouldn't hit the floor. Um, I, you know, it shouldn't. You know um, what you were talking about with the uh, with the washer if Joe Bonamassa can can trust it for a hundred and fifty thousand dollar guitar, I think we might be able to trust it with our so slightly you're, less. So you're telling me your shaler because it's like a so just to, for the audience, it's a cup, right, with a yep. plunger in it. With a plunger. And so you're saying that the cup actually was like upside down. It flipped upside down and and the plunger dropped down. So the, so the, so you, it probably flipped over time and you didn't realize it. No, I I. So I realized that that happened. So I unscrewed because they, they now have a set screw that holds the right. screw down. So I unscrewed the set screw, tightened that thing down like crazy. I had a wrench, tightened it down. Yeah, I can't um, imagine that thing having flipped over completely at the, the same time it failed. I have had them flip. That's but, two things that have to fail. The plunger and the cup both failed on me. I'm not impressed. Yeah, that's... I actually prefer the way they used to do it, where yeah, it was more of a pain in the ass, but it made you have to think. Oh yeah, I got to make sure those bad boys are tight mm-hmm. and tighten them down every now and again. I have this had one gives more you a problems. Sense of security. Yeah, with the with the current way that they put it, I, I will agree, Jim. With the current way they go on right now, it's not it's not the way it used to be. Where you actually had to use a tool and like a right. like a socket wrench to tighten it up. Yep, tighten um, it down. And yeah, I think that was a superior design. And I think they had a lock washer too, didn't they? So they did. 
They um, did. And they don't have that anymore. That's yeah. not there. Yeah. The whole idea was to make it easier for you personally because by putting that set screw in, I don't trust that set screw. Plus, the set screw is so small. Have you tried to find a – I just bought a set of screwdrivers to use for that set screw. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so small. So I might go back to these because I have them. Yeah, I, I have a couple laying around, and it's all I'll ever need. I mean, honestly, I've been playing the PRS I, most of the time, so, and I can't even I use must, I can't even use strap locks on my acoustic, so, you know. Yeah, no, yep. As a yeah. matter of fact, that's what I use is these on my acoustic. I can't. I can't even use those. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I'll send you a picture of my end pin sometime for my for my uh, Godin. It just doesn't. It doesn't have any. It's like it's a it's a quarter inch jack. Oh, so yeah. because it's also the I, I would have to have him put in the regular a regular end pin oh, that end. and yeah, move I, the quarter I, inch somewhere else. Yeah, nope, nope. That that one I do. Uh, you're right. I don't have a um, a lock on that side. But theoretically, right. but, the the, and, but theoretically, the cable should hold it in. So, yep. <laughs> I think you know the strap can come off there, but it's not going very far. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to fall very far. It might f up your cable a little bit, but it might. Yeah. It's not going over. All right. Well, that's that's it. Long episode. I've been David. Yep. I've been Jim. And tonight we we're practical guitarists. Thank you.